0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. What's going on, buddy?
1: Hey, Sam. Happy Sunday night for me over here.
0: Monday morning for you. Is that right? Is that where we're at? It is Monday morning over here in Australia. Last night, I went to my first cricket match, and it was a good one. I went to the T20 Cricket, World Cup, Finals. It was so good. England against Pakistan. The Pakistani fans. Oh, my God, man. Like, the coolest atmosphere. Just, we sat, I mean, look, I would say 80% of the stadium was probably Pakistan fans and... We sat in a section that was basically just Pakistan fans. And oh my God, it was just the coolest experience. Just such a flags flying everywhere, like just a real happiness and a joy to the crowd. Uh, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was such a cool experience. Um, England won. Uh, unfortunately I was rooting for Pakistan, but you know, what can you do? It was a great experience though. First cricket game of my life in person. And I picked, uh, picked the hell of one. Shout out to my wife, Laura, for surprising me with tickets on Friday for it.
1: Uh, that's awesome. And, and with all of the kind of pride that goes into that rooting for your country, just get me excited for the World Cup, which is coming up here in a, yeah. about a week. Like That's a crazy to think at this time of year, not usually when it's played and, and uh, catching me off guard now that it's overlapping with basketball season. But I'm, I'm a huge, huge World Cup guy. So just a, a fun sports time coming up over the next couple of weeks and, and months now.
0: Okay. So just some random things here. Go subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini channel over on YouTube. Additionally, after Adam and I are done here, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, you're going to get an interview with me and Zach Edie, uh, the center for Purdue. We're going to break down tape together. We're going to talk about his journey to this point to get to where he is uh in his career really interesting guy a guy from canada that didn't really pick up basketball competitively until 10th grade and within five years became an all big 10 center really really fun conversation just a really really good dude um who also has really done a lot uh with his nil work uh to help some underprivileged communities up in canada so uh stick around, listen to that really, really cool interview. Um, additionally, go follow the box and one underscore over on Twitter, go follow Sam underscore Vicini over on Twitter as well. We're going to try and, get this show up on twitter at some point i need to talk to some friends to try and figure out how to do that we will do that eventually but this episode we're going to dive into the first week of the college basketball season some of the prospects we've seen thus far uh including imani bates brandon miller some of the guys we haven't seen so far unfortunately like cam whitmore and nick smith uh and then we're going to dive into a bit Of the G League Ignite, which got their first win last night against the Santa Cruz Warriors in an absolutely just banana land wild game that occurred. Um, And then we're going to do prospects of the week. And then you'll get that interview with Zach Eady if you're listening on the podcast feed. Spins, it's been kind of a boring first week of college basketball because it just we need to do better from a scheduling perspective. College coaches, I implore you. Don't like worry about taking losses this early in the season. Nobody gives a shit. Like look at what Mark few and Tom Izzo did. They went to play on a fucking like aircraft carrier when the sun was in the eyes of the players. And you never know if there's going to be like condensation on the court. And then like, you have to play the elements in the wind. I mean, it's just crazy. But, you know, while like Gonzaga, I'd say this is the biggest game of the weekend so far. Gonzaga showed. They fought through real adversity. They battled. I'm sure that Mark Few is, like, pumped that they played that game because it's going to get them through. As a coach, Adam, shout out Boys Latin over in uh, the Baltimore area. As a coach, Adam, how do you feel about uh, just having your team fight through tough moments early in the season in order to maybe sharpen them? uh, later in the season.
1: Yeah, Sam, I don't, uh, I don't have much of a sweet tooth, so I don't believe in cupcakes. Like, I, I think you got to schedule as competitively as you can, because that's going to prepare you for conference play. And I think yeah. there's some, uh, situations when it might be beneficial to let your team feel their way through things against different levels of competition. But I'm a big fan of just coming out, swinging right out of the gate's, What's the litmus test? Let's get another yeah. team that's on par with where we are. And that's going to be ultimately more revealing for the areas that we as a team need to improve at, need to get better for. And it's going to be a much more of a motivating factor for our players to not just show up and compete yeah. on that day, but realize when they're looking at the tape afterwards, where do we need to improve this? There's urgency to fix these areas because we'll be seeing this every night in conference play.
0: Yeah. And, you know, let's also talk about this real quick. I mean, as I mentioned at the top, it is a bit unfortunate that we have had some injuries early in the season. Uh, Cam Whitmore is out for Villanova. Villanova lost to Temple, right? Um, It's funny. I I had texted a few friends and said that I had had uh, a couple of NBA scouts tell me, don't be surprised if Temple beats Villanova in the first week. And then Temple went out and lost Wagner, and then they went out and beat Villanova. So this Temple team is going to be just a weirdo show, (laughs) I think, throughout the entire season. But Villanova just looked under-talented offensively yeah. frankly they don't have an answer at the point guard position yet uh they desperately need cam whitmore to come back and be the guy that we think he can be nick smith is out uh arkansas i mean they're just they, they won both of their games this past week but they really struggled to shoot they need nick smith back to be able to get um some tough shot making especially at the end of shot clocks just some more shot creation on the court uh derek whitehead is out for duke Derek lively also had limited minutes for duke in their second game so We've unfortunately been beset a bit by injuries so far. Uh, Having said that, we've gotten some really exciting games. And I think that the game that most kind of caught the attention of the college basketball community over the weekend wasn't Gonzaga, Michigan State. It felt like Eastern Michigan against Michigan. Do you think that's right, Adam?
1: Yeah, that game was a thriller from the start, and and it's I, I know we'll we'll dive in real deep here to Amani Bates for a lot of different reasons, but like he came out with something to prove, and it was one of those moments where if you weren't watching the game but you were online, you were on Twitter, you were scrolling through things, you kind of had that like oh shit I got to watch this game moment because Monty Bates was yeah. making his statement that he's still a real big time player in college basketball.
0: Really, really interesting player, right? So Imani yep. goes to Memphis last year at 17 years old and struggles, uh, I think, to deal with the physicality of college basketball, struggles to deal with um, just being a 17-year-old and not having as much experience as some of his teammates and some of the other guys on the court. I mean, fuck, like DeAndre Williams on that team is <laughs> how old? 25. He was Imani's babysitter right? growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's, it's intriguing to try and figure out where Imani is now. Imani, I think first and foremost, the thing that I want to talk about, he dropped 30 points, created a ton of really uh, effective shots. I would say as a shot creator has a really, uh, has really fluid hips, has the ability to get separation from his man. He played with real joy last year at Memphis. Anyone that watched him Bates on the AAU circuit, they saw a guy that like was just the utmost most confident dude out there all the time felt like he was that dude every single time he stepped on the court last year. It felt like, and look at part of me, he doesn't want to speak for him, but it felt like watching from afar that he had kind of lost that a little bit Um for whatever reason, he, you know, he got hurt midway through the year and, you know, you never know what's going on, especially for a 17 year old that's in college basketball, has all these expectations, has all the pressure on him. Um, and people who have listened to this show for a long time have known that I'm a little bit more skeptical, I think, on Imani than others are. Uh, I- I've always kind of seen a guy that's six foot eight with a six foot eight wingspan that, um, you know, doesn't have elite athleticism and i just wondered how it would look moving up levels i was just most excited out of anything on saturday morning my time friday night your time yeah. to see him play with that joy and that confidence yeah. and that verve and that like just happiness of having it again right yeah. like yeah every single time people talk about Imani Bates, it's been, oh, what he's going to be in the future, what it, what it's going to be coming down the road, right? Instead of enjoying what he's been in the now and, like, at the moment and enjoying the positive moments and, look, we're going to talk a little bit about what the future holds for Imani but, like, I really wanted to enjoy that moment on Friday night more than anything yeah. because it felt important to enjoy given all that he's kind of come up through at this point and given what the positive play we've seen from him in the past so i i just was so excited to see imani play really really well on yeah, friday night really well said there
1: sam uh there's a certain level of artistry that goes into the game of basketball right and those who are super creative and need a lack of rules that they can follow just to be free and go play their game it was nice to see that from Imani Bates again. I think that at Memphis, yeah. he felt a little bit shackled by the confines of sharing the ball, sharing reps with other guys, trying to fit into a certain role that the coaching staff might have had in mind for him.
0: Lack uh, of spacing on the court as well, I think, right. was a real factor for him.
1: Right. And and this was much more of a comfortable situation
0: of go be creative, go be you. and Well, and, and on on top of that, real quick, in, in regard to the go be you ideal... Imani is a scorer. Last year, I don't know if you remember this off the top of your head, they tried to like play him at point from time to time. Because they didn't have a point guard. Yeah, Right, because they did not have a point guard. So, like, they just completely, I don't even want to say, like, bungled it, because I think that's probably a little bit unfair, but, like they just didn't put him in a great position to succeed for a 17 year old entering college basketball who already has like some real physical limitations. Um, They put so much on his plate that it was going to be really, really hard for him to be successful last year.
1: And and he looks so much more comfortable now. And and that's just through watching him play at Michigan and say, you know what, just give me the ball and let me go. He attacked in transition. He had room for different step backs. He was running off screens to get himself open and and fire up some shots from deep. Like he looked confident again. And I know we can talk about some of the mechanical things Uh, very similarly to you. I've never been the biggest, but at the end of the day, it's so much easier to talk about somebody and their potential when you see them living up to the best version of themselves right now. And that's where I'm really glad to see that's the starting point for us coming into this basketball season.
0: Agree. So obviously the next part of this is like, what do we think this means for Imani moving forward and his draft stock? I I don't really want to make any big proclamations about that at this point. Like I see that, you know, for instance, Kevin Woods in the YouTube comments is saying like top 15 pick this year, like already as of right now. And I, I think that's a possibility, but is aggressive uh, based on Imani. I, I think that the key to remember with Imani is his game lives so much on the margins. It is like there is zero room for error for Imani just physically, right? He's six foot eight. He doesn't have a great frame. He has a six foot eight wingspan. Um, he has a low shot release. Like everything is so, he, he's not a great athlete. Like, you know, he had a few dunks that looks really good, but like you saw, like he was barely getting over the rim on those dunks against Michigan. Right. So like not a super explosive vertical athlete, but he's just such a shot maker, right? Like he's one of the best tough shot makers I've seen in college bas like enter college basketball for a while at eighteen years old, right? Yeah. Um so that that's gonna give him a real shot, but he also like doesn't love to defend. He makes some like crazy like plays that are just dumbfounding from time to time. Yeah. Like he, he had that play defensively in transition where like he just went up and like no, grabbed yeah. the rim while there was the ball like had just hit the backboard and you're just like, Wait, what are what are you doing, okay. sir? Um so like his handle's a bit loose his handle Mm -hmm. is functional because he's so shifty and he uses that shiftiness to his advantage to really be able to get that separation to get to his shot but like i still feel like he is more going for his shot in eastern michigan that's great because they desperately need it i'm just you know like i I don't want to make big proclamations at this point about his stock because I think that his game lives so much on the margins that it's very, very difficult to try and figure out where it's going to settle when he's 20 years old.
1: Yeah, Uh, I I still see a couple issues on the footwork side of things as well, Sam. Like for a scorer, he doesn't have the most pristine like one-on-one moves. Oftentimes you talk about the lack of yeah. elevation and the low release on his jumper, which kind of shrinks him to play. Like he needs every single trick in his bag to gain separation as possible in order to get a lot of his dribble pull-ups off. And until his footwork is great, I don't know how projectable it's going to be to the NBA level. Uh, great story thus far. He's a super fun player, but like you, I'm just, great I'm player. not. Yeah, he's, great player. Yeah. Great fun
0: player. Yeah.
1: I'm just not ready to try to translate that into what it means for the next level or how he might project yet. Yeah. I, I got to see a well, lot more.
0: Yeah, like what I will say is like I I don't see him as like a franchise player. No, no right? No. Like he, no. he's not that. What, what we're trying to figure out is like is he like a guy who gets drafted in the first round? Is he a guy that gets drafted like in the top forty? Right? Um, and th- that's where like the conversation about him is frustrating because it, he was just. All of these expectations were placed on him so unfairly um, from such a young age because his shot developed so early. Like guys don't shoot like him at 14 years old. I mean, shit, Adam, you, you deal with 14-year-olds on a day-to-day basis coaching them, <laughs> I, right? How many how many 14-year-olds can shoot at a level remotely where Imani was is like a 14 year old. It's nah, not, it, like a zero It doesn't happen. It right? doesn't
1: happen, especially in terms of how physically developed he was or really like it, his, his shot didn't need an overall, like overhaul of his mechanics from that young of an age, young guys who can typically shoot it, not grown into their bodies yet. And they have got to change their form a little bit. Once they hit that growth spurt, didn't really need to it's he's a marvelous shooter.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's also a funky shot, right? Like it's yeah. not, It's not a traditional looking jumper. It has a very low release point. He cuts his follow through short a lot of the time, but he just has ridiculous touch. Right. And that's a huge part of what matters. I worry a little bit about the low release point when he's going up against longer NBA athletes that are going to be able to out athlete him. That's part of the thing with Michigan, like Michigan's perimeter players. And we're about to talk about one of them in a minute here. Um, they're not crazy athletes or they're not overly big, right? Like Kobe Buffkin is probably like the best intersection of that, right? Um, you know, six foot, what do we yeah. think Kobe is six foot four, something four, like that? Yeah. Six, four. Yeah. Six, six, four real athlete. Um, Terrence Williams is bigger, stronger, not like a wild, you know, fluid hips can drop his hips and like recover athlete. Um, Jet Howard, you know, still working through some things defensively as a freshman. So, you know, th- this was a good matchup for them at the end of the or for Eastern Michigan at the end of the day, Michigan was not very good defensively in this game either. Um, And then Imani got hot and felt it. I want to see what it looks like by January, February. I want to see if Imani is shooting 45% or if he's shooting 35%. I I think that like anywhere in the middle of those two areas is really in the ballpark for him. Uh, Having said that some of the shots he made were spectacular. Like, Coming off of that baseline out of bounds play, yeah. he catches, you know, takes a left-hand crossover, whips a right-hand crossover, mm-hmm. and then plants with his left foot, lifts his right leg up into, like, a Dirk fadeaway. And you're just like, wait, whoa, that's that, that's just, like, ridiculously advanced for an 18-year-old, right? Uh, again, it just all comes back to physical tools. Like, how much more can Amani add physically? To be able to make up for some of the deficiencies he has there. Um, because from a talent perspective, there is a lot. Like you, you can mm-hmm. see quite a bit um, from a handle, from a shiftiness, from a touch perspective. It's just that the NBA is a physical league and it's hard. And, you know, the guys are going to be able to really bully him on some yeah. level.
1: Yeah, we we know what the ceiling is kind of because of the one-on-one scoring ability. Still exploring how realistic it is that he gets to that point, but the the numbers are going to matter so much for him, Sam. The consistency as a three-point shooter, his ability yeah. to post, you know, really strong numbers in, in that regard, that's going to help dictate his floor. And I think that that's really important in trying to figure out where he gets slotted in on draft night in terms of that conversation.
0: Yeah, and like frankly like You know, at some point I'm going to have to rank Imani Bates because that's what I do, right? Like, that's my job (laughs) is to rank prospects on the internet. And I'm probably going to be conservative with him because, like, the the entire issue with Imani has been this unrealistic expectations game that the media has forced upon him. And I don't want to call any specific media members out. I'm sure that if you go back through people's mentions you know, high level people, you will see things that are like, this is the next Kevin Durant. And he just never had those tools physically. Right. And it was an unfair expectation upon him, but I, I I just, I I am always going to be conservative at this point with him almost out of like this weird protective ideal. Cause like, I I don't, I don't want to feed into that loop, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't want to feed into that, like, over hype loop that, unfortunately, Imani has been in while also acknowledging, like, he's incredibly talented and gifted. And, like, I want to I I just want to err on the side of responsibility with Imani, I guess, at this point. Totally get it. Okay, From that game as well. Jet Howard has been very fun in Michigan's first two games. And he looks ready to play from the jump. He looks like a potential one and done prospect Uh, for people who don't know. Jet Howard is Jawan Howard, the coach at Michigan and longtime NBA player's son. He is a six foot eight. Let's call him wing secondary playmaker who can shoot. Right. Let's go with that. Yeah. I've seen some real hype about Jet Howard coming into the season. He is been very good in their first two games at some things and you can really see the flashes i think particularly as a second side ball handler where he takes second side ball screens and like takes a couple of dribbles is very patient is very calm and makes the right passing read uh would have been your overall impressions of jet howard who i think is a guy that is kind of bubbling up at this point as a player that people think could end up being one of those guys who comes from outside of the top 30 recruits in the country and then becomes a one and done.
1: Yeah. With, with jet, I think it's two different ends of the floor, right? On the offensive end, seen a lot of impressive things to start, Uh really smooth shooting stroke because he's six foot eight, decently high release, gets it off pretty quickly. A very confident floor spacer. You mentioned the passing feel, that ability to, initiate those second side pick and rolls. I think he's a really good passer on the move, very proactive yeah. at making those reads, quick decision-making when he runs into the second line of the, of the defense, just kind of a natural at making decisions with the ball in his hands. And also a guy who, when he is patient coming off of those screens or finally sees daylight to be able to attack the basket, he does attack in straight lines. And, and that's something that I noticed from their first game that, uh, that really, really impressed me there. Then there's the defense. And oh boy, uh, he's going to be a work in progress there. The entire Michigan team kind of needs a little bit of work on that end because they don't have plus athletes on the perimeter yeah. like we mentioned a little bit earlier. And I think that exposes Hunter Dickinson a little bit on the back line at times. So just yeah, really.
0: I- I'll be honest with you. I actually thought Hunter was like okay defensively yeah. in that game. Uh yeah. he he was not the reason that Eastern Michigan scored what eighty three, something like that. Um, eighty-five, I can't remember what the number is. But yeah, Hunter was like actually okay, I thought, defensively in this game. It was the perimeter guys that were just giving up penetration constantly and giving up way too much separation to be able to uh shoot open threes if you're Imani Bates in this case. <laughs>
1: Well, and the challenge if you're Michigan is you don't want to have the ball funneled towards your best offensive player every single time down the floor. That if Hunter Dickinson gets in foul trouble, that's going to spell some issues for the Wolverines on the other end of the floor and, and on defense. So, you know, I, I think yeah. they've got to find some way to become a little bit more of a, a perimeter stopgap there. I think Howard has some of the tools to make that happen just because he's long and and decently smart. But he's he's going to need a little bit more work on ball before I'm ready to proclaim him to be in that top thirty range.
0: Yeah, uh, he is. It, it's hard to find guys though that are six foot eight that yeah. can handle the ball like he can, that can play in ball screens, and that can shoot. Yep. And he is definitely an NBA player at some point, is what yes. I would say. Oh yeah, yes. Uh, the the thing that worries me is he is just not a crazy athlete. Like he is, he's kind of boxy in terms of like the way he moves. I, uh, you know, th- he's not explosive, not all that twitchy. The other thing that frustrated me in his first couple of games is I think that like as a driver, he kind of preordains his reads. Like he'll decide as like, as he starts his drive, okay, I am going to Euro step and get around this defender. As opposed to reacting to what the defender does to him, and goes, okay, we're gonna actually uh, read this defender, and then maybe euro step around him, or take a floater, or do something else. And this is freshman stuff, right? Like, of right. course, yeah. freshmen aren't finished products, but I think that that was a lot of the issue that we saw with him, you know, uh, in the first couple of games was. You know He's still developing, he has good feel for the game, but he's still developing his experience uh, at this point.
1: Sure, and, and again, I see flashes of the ability to be a very good live dribble playmaker and somebody who understands how to read a defense in terms of, do I score it, do I pass it? But he's got to be a lot smarter because he's not a great athlete. at Just taking what the defense gives him and understanding how to take space and get to the basket as opposed to, you know, like you said, pre planning out some of his drives and his moves.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you want to move here? We wanted to talk about the bigs that played throughout the weekend in college sure. basketball. And this is the year of the big man in college basketball, right? Like it is? The, the way that this class is loaded with interesting upper class bigs, uh, is really fascinating. Uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson, you know, maybe was the best player in the country this week. Uh, he had 31-7 and seven you have here against Eastern Michigan, and there there was just nothing Eastern Michigan could do against him. Nope. Michigan ran its entire offense through the post uh, with Hunter just being able to spray out passes, with him being able to just dominate and get to where he wanted on the block against this team. He, he was an absolute monster in that game, I thought. Um, by far the best player on the court, even in a game where Imani dropped 30. Uh, he, he was just absolutely spectacular, I thought. Yeah,
1: it's smooth game, like understands who he is, how to score and get his points. It doesn't force too much on the offensive end of the floor. His assist numbers do not do justice to the type of passer that he is. And he's just, he's seven foot one and he's got great touch down low. Like that's going to win you a lot of ball games, particularly early in the year against non conference opponents, mid majors, low majors, who don't have that type of size and defensive presence on the interior. Like the theme we'll get to. Is not just all of the bigs in this year's draft class who are experienced and upperclassmen are able to lead their teams to victory, but they're going to look great in this early portion of the season because a lot of the teams that they're going up against in these cupcake after cupcake schedule are teams that just can't physically handle them one-on-one down low.
0: The other guy that, like, and look, there are a bunch of bigs that had great nights, but, like, the other guy that really stood out to me is someone that I've been a little bit higher on in the preseason than some other people is Colin Castleton. Castleton, yeah. He had 33 points against Kennesaw State. He had, uh, what, you have the free throw number here. He shot 17 free throws in two games. He's just living at the line. Yeah. Uh, this Todd Golden offense looks like it's going to be tailor-made for him, and he's Offense is not the best part of his game. He is a tremendous defender. He's a great interior defender, as you wrote in our notes here. But more than that, his perimeter defense for a big is outstanding. He can actually switch on to guards and live out on an island and deal with them because his footwork is so good. He can move laterally. Um, If he shoots it at a fairly high level this year, like forty-five. Something like that. And, you know, if he goes like 40 to 60 on draft night, that wouldn't surprise me at all because like his game, for instance, is a little bit more tailor made toward the NBA because yeah. of the defense than someone like Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott, like someone like that, uh, with the ability to move on the perimeter, particularly Oscar and Armando struggle a little bit in pick and roll coverages. Castleton is very good in pick and roll coverages. So it wouldn't blow me away to see him go higher than some of the guys that will get talked about uh, more extensively throughout this college basketball season because they just put up crazy numbers, right? Castleton put up crazy numbers in this game, but also has these additional factors that will be able to uh, push him forward. It's funny.
1: All of the big men on the list that we could talk about of returning upperclassmen, like potential All-American types – they all seem to have this one flaw or hole in their game for pro potential, whether it's a defensive end of the floor, certain coverages, lack of ability to space the floor on offense. Castleton has got to be the most well-rounded of this group, and I think he flies a little bit more under the radar because he's not you know, outwardly dominant in one area. But make no mistake, this was his coming out party on the offensive end in terms of production. And Todd Golden trying to play through him or, or enable him to be more of a scorer in ways that should yep. shed light from a national standpoint on just how damn good he is defensively.
0: No, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Zach Eady had thirty and eleven against Austin P. Had six blocks in the game against Milwaukee. Yeah, Zach Eady just did, did the exact kind of dominant post play that we're going to talk about um on the podcast here later with him
1: yeah i mean 12 of 13 from the field i mean he's just he's a giant out there against austin p with the greatest chance of all time let's go p so uh yeah, great, great game for me you gotta
0: yeah. love it okay uh and then the other two guys that have been on this podcast within the last couple of weeks are drew timmy and Duron holmes yeah. uh timmy was just everything that you would ask for from a national player of the year candidate oh, boy 22 points 13 rebounds, four assists, and and like in the second half when they desperately needed clutch buckets and they desperately needed offense. And, you know, who the fuck knows what the conditions were like on an aircraft carrier in terms of being able to play basketball. Uh, Timmy just started to dominate and took over the game, became the best player on the court like we knew he was entering the game. Uh, Just a really, really impressive performance to lead Gonzaga to a tight win.
1: Yeah, I mean, the game played on an aircraft carrier, but he was the Gonzaga carrier throughout that second half. Just did everything he could. Low post-touch after low post-touch, making right decisions, scoring, getting in one, great come-from-behind win from them. Down a little bit late to Michigan State, did all the right things there. When we talk about the college game nowadays, I know there's a lot of draft heads who listen to this podcast, probably watch a little bit more on the NBA side. Like When you're down late and you need buckets in the NBA – You need a star guard, somebody who can create their own shot from the perimeter, probably get hot from three. It's almost the inverse in college basketball. You need somebody to be able to just throw the ball to on the block, settle down your offense, chin and check, see what the defense gives you, and either score it or make a kick out to somebody else and, and create shots inside out. And Timmy, I mean, year after year, game after game, he proves he can be that guy.
0: And then the other guy is Deron Holmes. Deron Holmes against SMU, which is not a bad team, not like an NCAA tournament team, probably an NIT team this year. Uh, 20 points, seven rebounds, three assists, five blocks. Uh, he should have had way more than three assists. He should have had six-plus assists. He probably had like eight to ten potential assists in this game. Um, and his teammates just missed shots for one reason or another, right? Um the other thing, man, defensively, he was all over the place. He is big. He is strong. He is like 230 pounds now. And Dayton put up a stat on their Twitter account that said, on shots contested by Deron Holmes against SMU, SMU shot three for 20 from the field. Uh, <laughs> he was absolutely terrific defensively in this game and it felt like that it did not feel like uh oh this is just like kind of fake numbers or whatever it felt like Daron holmes was unbelievable all over the place impactful defensively plus had the five blocks
1: we saw this at the end of last season with the way that he was playing down the stretch glad to see he's added more strength to his frame he's just super active and positionally sound every single time and that's a hell of a combination to have when you eat up as much space as he does and and is you know, in the college game, one bigger presence on the interior can make a huge difference. Uh, this is going to be a, a breakout season for him. And by the way, Dayton, super fun team. A lot of really intriguing players on, on their roster. And, and just the way that it all meshes together is going to be really fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mongolian Mike Sheriff Jampscht <laughs> yeah. is uh, very interesting. Like yeah. six foot eight, can handle, can shoot, can pass. I don't think he's an NBA like one and done guy, but I-, I think he will play in the NBA. Like he is a really, really interesting prospect. Um, I think that's all we want to talk about. with Bigs, I guess. Like Adama Sonogo uh, had 27 and 15 against Boston, made a couple of threes. Uh, Armando Baycott was a monster in the second half against Charleston. Uh, just you know, the, this is the year of the big, and we're going to continue to see it more and more throughout the throughout the course of this college basketball season.
1: Yeah. Shout out to my guy, Manny Bates at Butler too. Looks healthy, looks spry, great individual defender down there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get into some of the top prospects that did play. And then we're going to do some Ignite stuff and then Tank Watch and Prospects of the Week. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are up again. Let's, let's start with, do you want to start with Brandon Miller or Keontae George? Oh, let's, uh, let's start Keontae because he was one
1: guy okay. that I thought, you know, that first game on Tuesday really was Baylor's, uh, that, that noon tip-off kind of slot. They were the first real game there in the college basketball season. Felt like a lot of scouts, a lot of people had their eyes on him in that contest, which if I may for one quick second, Sam, can we bring back the tip-off marathon
0: Can we just go I just want a good game? I I I want one good game. Let's start with one good game and then we can do a marathon.
1: I I think that's I think that's a fair (laughs) ask, but it's also like everybody played Tuesday at seven and then again on Friday. It's like yeah. Can can we stagger some of these games and start because man do I want to watch all of them live? We've been clamoring for this for months for college basketball to come back, and then every game tips off at the same time and it's you know, Duke versus Northeast, West, South state university. <laughs> can we right. just get, can we get some good games We get some fun games, that tip off madness marathon that we used to have of all of those, like that four o'clock tip off in you know, AM in Hawaii was one of the things that I always look forward to most. Like I was always magically sick that day when I was in high school, all the fun games that you're able to have, we just bring it back, please, please college basketball, humor me on this.
0: Yeah, I'm not asking a lot. I just would like a couple of good games on opening night and then a couple of good games the next night. I I do not want to have to wait until Friday to have anything resembling a relevant game. And, like, by the way, like, even on Friday, I mean, the best game was Michigan State and Zaga. And then, like, I mean, what? Wisconsin-Stanford, both of whom, like, might not make the tournament this year. That was probably the second best game stagger them folks just give us a lot to watch uh, give please yeah. a a, Vil- a temple villanova game that's like a big five rivalry but like Villanova is probably not like a top three talent team in the big east until cam Whitmore comes back like it, with a new coach that's like still the jury's out on yeah I mean yeah. what are we doing here like let, let, do- let's get something give, give me something yeah. <laughs> opening week. We do- we did
1: get two court stormings in one game, though, with Villanova Temple. That was interesting. We did.
0: That's a good point. Uh, and Kyle Neptune, that was a <laughs> that was a great move. Honestly, I kind of respected that yeah. move.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Just,
0: just completely like make yourself hated to the entire Big Five uh, community outside of Villanova fans. What a what a choice. Um, okay. Let's let's go to Keontae, though, because we didn't really break down Keontae. Keontae uh, just looks every bit the part of, like, a combo guard uh, lottery pick. That, you yep. know, can really handle it, can really pass. Creative driver, attack-oriented, can finish at the rim, like, genuinely a three-level scorer, it seems like, already. There's just not much. I just feel I feel very confident in Keontae George ending up in the top 10 at this point, based off oh. of what you've seen.
1: Oh, yeah. And the thing about... Guys who are three-level scorers and know it, he—they tend to force shots sometimes. Keontae does not do that. Really good balance for when to make the the next pass, when to get others involved, and when to go out there and get his uh, seven assists in each of his first two games. Really solid. He's playing adequate defense too. You know, shooting the ball yeah. efficiently from three. Like his defense has been pretty stout. And, and Baylor, they love to you know play their no middle stuff and really get into the basketball. Great schematic stuff for a guy like him, but he, he just he looks the part, he's consistent every single day, and he's wired to be a good NBA player with the skill set that he has. But this seems like a very low risk kind of preseason projection to have him in that top ten.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh I don't know that we really need to say much more about him. Like no. he just looks steady and solid. Um maybe defensively like You know, maybe foot speed comes up as like a thing at some point for him, but you know we're 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 a ways away from that. Nobody in Baylor's first two games, you know, caused issues with that. We'll Mm -hmm. see what it looks like later on uh, in the off season or in the um, non conference schedule. I'm sorry. Let's go to Brandon Miller now. I think Brandon Miller had a bit more of an interesting start, maybe than Keontae. Whereas like Keontae was just like flat out good. Brandon was also flat out good, but. I don't know about you, like I felt like I saw some of the cracks in his prospect game. What What, okay. what was your overall take on Brandon? Yeah, I, I saw a lot of the positives first, so I'll, I'll
1: hit there before we yeah, go yeah, ahead yeah. And, and, and be kind of constructive. Like The shooting confidence that he brings to the table is not something that I expected. I think we've talked about it on an earlier podcast that you know, as long as he's taking them, it's going to inspire confidence from NBA general managers that he believes in his shot beyond – kind of that 16 to 18 foot range he's taking him. and he's making them from big boy range or so. Far oh yeah. Like he,
0: he made against Liberty, he made two or three from NBA range. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And he's, he's not shy about pulling up there, it, you know, maybe a little bit of mechanical stuff that I'd like to see get smoothed out when he shoots from distance. But uh, the confidence is, is really intriguing to me. He was better on defense than I expected in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, it, again, it's Liberty. It's
0: yeah, not quite yeah,
1: yeah, the same yeah. level of opponent that we'll see in the SEC. Uh, but I was more positive takeaways from that end of the floor than I anticipated coming in. And they're just they're going to give him the ball and let him create, particularly early on in the season here. And I, I think that that's definitely worth exploring if you're Nate Oates. So those are kind well, of the yeah. positives for me.
0: It's interesting because I felt like they didn't really give him the ball. Like they gave him a couple of mismatch post opportunities, but like for the most part, it was, we're going to hit him as like a trailer. We're going to hit him as a pick and pop guy. We're going to run him off of like maybe a couple of DHOs and he flattened out for a couple of three pointers off DHOs, which was interesting. Um, the couple of things that like stood out to me as, Okay, let's see where this lands throughout the course of the season. Once he's twenty games into his season, as opposed to two games in, right? Um, the first one was the handle. The handle was loose; like it was a little bit looser than what I thought it was coming into the year after watching um, some of their off season or like you know preseason action uh it it was just loose like he maybe was a little bit nervous maybe you know liberty is a team that like really can get into your handle a little bit with the way that they kind of dig down so and the way that they cut off driving lanes so that's a real factor i think but the other thing is his shooting off of movement i thought was a little bit worrisome if he has time to really load into it i think he's actually like kind of like cash Like, I think he's like pretty automatic, it feels like. If he gets a chance to like really set his feet, get into it, it's like a trailer, for instance. Like, from NBA range, like, I feel okay with him shooting that, like, right now. It's when, you know, he had an air ball off of like a DHO where he like flattened out behind his man and took the shot. And it was still like right before he probably got totally settled. I would like to see a little bit more about how his shot looks off of like more advanced movement, I guess before we like really, really dive in um, a couple of other guys on Alabama, Jaden Bradley was a McDonald's all American, you know, really looked creative. I thought as a guard, uh really interesting player that I, I think is probably a multi-year guy, but um, you know, really shifty. I thought as an on ball player and, Potentially like an NBA player down the road. The guy that really stood out to me was Rylan Griffin, who is someone that like I was not super familiar with entering college basketball this season. Um, I've since like been texting around, like trying to figure out like what his deal is. Like he was a freshman, he was top 50 freshman, and I, I'd like seen a couple of games. Don't get me wrong, but like. He, he was really, really good for Alabama, particularly in the Liberty game. The shot looks really good. He's really confident taking them. Like he took six threes in their opener, seven threes against Liberty. And he only made, I think like, I think he made like three of the first, uh, 13 threes that he's taken so far. But I like have very few doubts that he can shoot. He's super long. He plays tough. He gets into tough areas of the court. I, I am. Now, like, very much tracking Rylan Griffin. He is six foot five, long, tough. I want to see more where the handle is, but like, he seems like a sharp player. He's a smart cutter. Like, he does a lot really, really well. And he's very skinny. We'll see what it looks like when he adjusts to SEC play as opposed to playing Liberty. But I I am very, very, very intrigued in a way that I didn't know I would be when I turned on Alabama uh, for the first time this year.
1: Yeah, if you can shoot and Nate Oates is going to find a way to get you on the floor a little bit. Yeah. And that's the one thing where if we know the direction that this team could go with, okay, time to unleash Brandon Miller a little bit more. All right, let's get Javon Quinterly healthy. We've got good guards in Bradley and Sears, like you need floor spacers. And I think Griffin's minutes can be consistent as long as he can show that he's knocking those down at a way that matches his confidence when he takes them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I am uh I, I don't know. I don't like a look. I don't think he's like one and done or anything based off of what we've seen, but like someone that is very interesting and someone very much worth tracking moving forward as a very real prospect that I think, you know, based off of that probably plays in the, I think he probably is an NBA player at some point um, based off of what I've seen already. Okay. Let's now go to, do you want to go to the ignite next? Probably. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's go to the Ignite. So the Ignite got their first win of the season against the Santa Cruz Warriors. The Santa Cruz Warriors were a bit underhanded. Um They had some injuries. I think they only had eight or nine guys in uniform. But the Ignite also had some injuries. You know, John Jenkins didn't play. Leonard Miller didn't play in this game. Um, I think they had maybe one or two other guys that didn't play in this game. The two... Really, I would say three big standouts for me. Scoot obviously was terrific. This team just like falls apart when he's not on the court. It yeah. feels like, um, they, they just have no ability to initiate offense without Scoot Henderson. He had 18 points and 16 assists. And I think that this is the thing that you and I keep talking about as he is a very underrated passer. Like, he can really, really pass the ball, particularly out of ball screens. Uh, he was terrific making plays, particularly with F.A. A- Boogity is now how we're Boogity. pronouncing his name. Yeah. Um, F.A. Boogity. Uh, F.A. Boogity was terrific in this game, too. Mm-hmm. I thought he had 16 points. looks every bit the explosive player that um, he was at Washington State in his first year. Last year was obviously uh, a bit. I don't want to say shortened because I think he played most of the games, but like it was affected, I think, by yeah. tendonitis, yeah. maybe in his knee, N- knee issues. Uh yeah. And then finally, Mojave King really broke out in this game. He had 28 points and looks like the guy that college coaches would tell me when they went to like NBA Basketball Academy camps looked like a better prospect than Josh Giddy. He's very clearly not a better prospect than Josh Giddy, but he is someone that, I think really over the course of having watched the Vic Scoot series and then now this game has put himself firmly back on the map for NBA scouts uh, as we move into uh, the meat of the Ignites season.
1: Yeah, look, if we're going to talk about the Ignite, I think we have to start with Scoot Henderson because he is, as Charles Barkley would say, the engine that stirs the drink. Everything kind of revolves around him, and they completely fall apart when he's off the floor. Not just a tremendous passer-scorer kind of combo, but he's consistently adding that, that three-point shot now. That one question mark in his scoring arsenal seems to be coming along. Two of four from three against Santa Cruz, which, by the way, their team, 19 of 30 from three in that game. Like it was a, it was a bananas game from start to finish. They were down 53 to 28 early. And then they just didn't miss a three for the rest of the night. It was absurd. Uh, And and I think that that come from behind victory goes to show the competitive spirit that Scoot Henderson has. We talked about it in the matchup with Victor Weminyama in game one there. Like he takes that personally. He wants to be the engine that makes everything go. And I got to applaud the way the, Ignite have surrounded him with veterans, guys like Jenkins, who obviously was hurt, Aubrey Dawkins, these more floor spacing types who really buy into, hey, all we need to do is space the floor around Scoot. He's going to make our lives easy, but it also shows what transcendent of a prospect he really is at this point in time. There was was one play I I just want to highlight there. early in the second half. He was coming off of a ball screen. Santa Cruz was in drop coverage, and he rose up like he was going to take a a 17-foot mid-range pull up and I think it was Mojave King snuck along the baseline like while he was raising into his shot and he just quickly threw that dart of a pass to to King along the baseline. Like his vision, his feel is so elite and he's not going to make any type of play that isn't for the best interest of his team. I, I fall in love with guys like that. I think it's hard not to when he has the athletic tools as well as the intangibles. He's just he's so damn good. And I don't know if the Ignite are going to win a ton of games in the G League this year. I wouldn't bank on it, but he just makes everything happen for them. And he is an offensive game changer at the next level.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up Mojave like cutting, right? Like Mojave's off ball. Game thus far, I think has been the most impressive part. Like, obviously, the shooting has been really high level. I think he went nine for fifteen in this game. Um, but he just cuts and moves really, really well without the ball, and knows where to be. He puts himself in dangerous positions constantly, and he just looks—he looks like a real second-round prospect. I, I think that that's the thing with this ignite team, right? Like, they have Scoot Henderson, who's going to go number two overall, number three overall in this class, probably number two, um, and then. They don't really have another first round pick right now for me. Uh, They have Leonard Miller, they have CD Sissoko, they have Mojave King, they have F.A. Abugati. Like, I think all of those guys are very real second round picks uh, in this upcoming draft. Uh, You know, maybe Leonard King can sneak his way into the 20s. You know, maybe uh, Mojave King like really blows up or something like that. Maybe CD Sissoko, is he? continues to adjust to the super high level uh, that he's jumping from, from second division Spain now up to the G league. Maybe he like really adjusts and like makes his way into that. But right now I have second round grades on like all of these guys and they're interesting to watch. And I I kind of am intrigued by the ignite while also like, I don't, I don't want to say I'm like bored by them, but there there's like, There is that, like, okay, I'm watching a lot of second-round picks with a guy that, like, I know is the number two overall pick, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that. Um, Like, Scoot Henderson simplifies your role if you're one of his teammates. And for NBA scouts, like, this is a great opportunity to see how guys like Sissoko and Mojave King and even Leonard Miller to a certain extent, like, how do they react to being more of an off-ball player? Which ones are going to acclimate to that role first and easiest. And, and King has been that guy out of the gates. Uh, but there's also something about what other roles can they play when Scoot Henderson isn't on the floor. And I think that as the Ignite season goes forward, they've got to find ways to do that. We talked earlier, they showcase Leonard Miller a little bit more when Scoot is off the floor. Yeah maybe that's why they got pounded last night when he wasn't there because they they didn't have that type of presence to be more of the offensive creator. Ken Sissoko, a guy who showed a ton of passing feel and even some pick-and-roll creativity when he was over in Europe, can he bring that to those moments when Scoot is on the bench? So I think there's enough opportunity on this roster for everybody to show where they're going to fit in a world when Scoot isn't around. But more important than that, none, none of those guys outside of scoop are going to be number one options in the NBA. So they really need to show how they play next to a number one option. And that's where I've been most impressed with Mojave.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay. Uh, let's, or what are we, are we up to it? Are we up to our, uh, to our beautiful, sweet segment of the show every week? It's tank watch time, baby. Uh, Tank watch. 2023, Tank Watch. We're all in. We love it. It's time to talk about the teams that uh, are tanking or potentially could tank or maybe are not. And this season, or this time, stock up and stock down. Remember, stock up means that you've lost a lot of games. Stock down means that you have uh, put yourself in a better position potentially to make the playoffs even uh, stock up the Pelicans. They have the Los Angeles Lakers pick. Uh, that seems <laughs> like it might be a really good thing.
1: Yeah. It seems uh, like we're headed that way. The uh, Darvin ham press conferences where he just kind of shoots vibes out of his fingers and hopes that that magically fixes things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how that's going so far. It's, The Lakers have some issues, and if you're New Orleans, you are thrilled to be sitting on that pick.
0: I'm I'm like fairly worried about the Darvin Ham experience. Uh, They don't run anything on offense. Like we we just need to be real about this. Like I've not seen much yet from Darvin Ham to make me think that he might not be like a very bad coach. Uh, he might, he might turn out. Okay. Like, you know, Ime Yudoka started slow last year and then turned it on, but I, I don't think Ime started this questionable. Uh, I, I have some real worries about yeah. the Lakers um, with Darvin it, it It
1: reminds me a lot of when Brooklyn got rid of Kenny Atkinson, right? Like Frank Vogel did a lot on this team that didn't necessarily get uh, talked about in a positive light because the negatives were so glaring and kind of got picked up and run with by the media in certain regards. Uh, they miss having somebody who has been in a, a head coach for a long period of time and just kind of default and knows how to handle a lot of these situations. Uh, that's, yep. to me, you know, one thing about Frank Vogel. He, he always is able to get an identity out of his team. And I think Kenny Atkinson very much the same way when you replace them with newer coaches who are still trying to find and feel their way through, how much do I put my stamp on it versus how much do I let our stars that we already have on our roster kind of run with this thing? That's a really tough balance to strike and yep. it shows. It definitely shows in the way that they're playing and the lack of structure that they have in the offensive end.
0: No, I-, I think that that's absolutely right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Pelicans feel like they have to be in a good position right now, right? They get this pick swap with the Lakers, and if this goes as poorly as it's gone so far for the Lakers, and the longer that they go without making a move, the more likely it is that they just decide to keep this roster together and try and use the space from Russell Westbrook that he'll create for free agency next year. I don't know, man. If I was if I was the Pelicans I'd be very happy right now. Stock up in tank watch the New uh-huh. Orleans Pelicans.
1: My my brain would literally break if Zion and Victor Wembanyama are teammates. My my brain does not know how to process that level of excitement for just unique unorthodox basketball right now. That's oh my god.
0: Would be wild. Okay. Next up Stock up again. The Charlotte Hornets, they are not very good. Uh, as we kind of thought coming into the year, the Charlotte Hornets are not a great basketball team. It is worth noting, of course, that LaMelo Ball has missed all but one game now this season. Uh, this team still, I, I just don't really know how they beat anybody. Uh, they are 3-11. and They have the third worst offense in the league. Maybe LaMelo changes that. Uh, but like what Lamelo brings in terms of creating shots, I don't know how much it's going to help. It'll help a little bit for sure. It'll help a lot. I mean, let's be honest, but like, will it help so much that they can overcome the minus six net rating that they have right now? I don't yeah. think it's going to help that much.
1: Yeah. I don't quite see it. They've lost eight in a row. Like the early season luster that they got from guys like Dennis Smith and Ah, uh, Nick Richards, Staal, Maladon, who are playing real minutes in the NBA and trying to prove something. That luster has worn. Uh, it's it's a tough time in Charlotte, and they need Lamelo Ball back. And we probably need to give them a little bit of time, just to see how they look with him kind of having the reins there. But he's such a brilliant creator and makes those around him better. You just wonder, like, who is he kicking out to that you feel really confident is gonna gonna shoot the ball? It, it, who? behind him is going to make up for some of the defensive mistakes that you live with that you feel really confident can cover those holes. It's, it's just a thin roster, Sam. It's just very, very thin.
0: Well, it's made all the thinner by Gordon Hayward. Like Gordon Hayward did not play. um, I believe on Saturday when LaMelo came back, uh, Won't play Monday, it looks like, because of the shoulder injury. He's only played eight games so far this season. This has always been the thing with Gordon. Like They desperately need Gordon Hayward on the court because he's a real secondary playmaker who can shoot and who can like actually make things happen on the court. But can you trust Gordon Hayward to be on the court for more than 45 games? Probably not. And if you can't trust him to be on the court, you're probably tanking. If you only get 45 games out of Gordon Hayward with this roster, you're tanking. Yeah. Can can I bring back my mini segment here though, Sam? Yes,
1: please. Oh, the mini segment here, the Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here award for the week. Oh god. Yeah, uh, this one's it's kind of strange, but it's going to PJ Washington right now. Like the last couple games, he just he looks off, man. Something is off. Again, they played Miami back-to-back nights. Nine points and four points in consecutive games. Zero assists, five turnovers. He's basically forgotten how to rebound. Like he just—he looks like he doesn't want to be there right now. And that's that's a challenging crossroads for the Hornets organization. Yeah, he does. Yeah, Yeah, very frustrated. Yeah, and and I get it. Um, But it's a it's a crossroads potentially for the Hornets organization because of contract status and things that are going to be coming up over the next year. And if you are Charlotte. You know, what do you do?
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw some people float the idea of like a wise man for PJ Washington and something swap. I I don't. So like, here's the thing. PJ Washington helps the Warriors for sure. Does PJ Washington help the Warriors so much that they're willing to pay PJ Washington to pay essentially $40 million to have PJ Washington on their roster next year? Because that's what it would take unless you're just going to use them as a, uh, as a rental, right? Because yeah. he's well, a restricted free agent. Then you're not going to pick up his restricted free agency well, rights next year. Yeah. Well, and let's be clear there, Sam, that's 40 million just because of their luxury tax plan. Like he's not making. yeah, 40 yeah, million yeah, yeah. A year. yeah. No, 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 no. He'll make like, you know, 12 or whatever next year, um, depending on how he plays could be upwards of like 18. If he plays yeah. super well the rest of the year, but like, you know, if he gets like a $12 million contract, you know they have to pay basically like 40 million plus to have him on the roster with luxury tax payments as well. So it's that's what makes Warriors roster building so hard like they're just almost better off moving James Wiseman like for a pick that they can get for super cheap because i'm sure that like what would the Hornets just like take James Wiseman for a second rounder or something maybe like but like they don't the Warriors don't have to do that right now because they have time with Wiseman. So like yeah, no, it's The PJ Washington thing is interesting. I I hope that I I almost hope they find him a new home because like he's, he's ready to compete now. I think like I, I, I like his game. Yeah.
1: When he's on, I like his game, but strangely lacking motivation in a contract year on a team that definitely is frustrating, but like he's, he's so good when he plays with energy. It's, it's, it's weird.
0: Yeah. Like that's it. Like he's switchable. You can play him as a small ball five, it's not that like, oh my god, like he's earned the ability to be on a contender. It's just that I think his game profiles better to being on a contender yes. at the end of the day. Yeah. Like I, I would and like I know that Charlotte, you know, is in a weird spot at that four position, at the three position, um, because of uh Miles Bridges and his um legal issues. But I, I just I don't I don't know Uh, what to do with PJ Washington at this point on the Charlotte Hornets roster. Uh, They, they just don't feel all that close to me, I guess to competing. And then they're going to pay PJ uh, to do so. I don't know, man. It's a weird deal. They, they need, they need like more high upside players. And PJ is like a good, like fifth man, I think on a team.
1: Well, and they need to make that decision by February. Because I think so too. They can't afford to let him go this summer and get nothing back. Like, even a sign in trade when you don't have a ton of leverage and you're already talking about how you're going to structure salaries for the next cap year, they got to make a decision this winter.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. Uh, Stock down in Tank Watch, the Washington Wizards. They've been good. They're on a three game win streak. Within that three game win streak, they beat the Jazz and they beat the Mavs. (laughs) Like this team's rolling. I think think they're playing Memphis like right now or something, right? Like yeah, they're checking. They're the rolling, baby. Let's see if I can get up here on the score for that as we're going.
1: They're up fourteen with five minutes to go on Memphis. So going to be a four game win streak. It looks like Th- this
0: team is like fairly competitive right now, and it's in part because Christoph Sporzingis has been much better than. The Christops we've seen over the course of the last couple of years. Christops is currently averaging 20.2 points, 8.3 rebounds, 2.4 assists. Um, the passing, I think, particularly has actually been like pretty good this year for his standards. Like he's playing unselfishly. He's a good fit with, uh, Bradley Beal. It feels like in the backcourt. Yeah. The Washington Wizards, like good competitive team. The other fun thing about, and it looks like Beal is not playing tonight, uh, based off of looking at this box score but like um the other fun thing that's happening with this Wizards team is that jordan goodwin is carving out like a very real role uh jordan goodwin you know is an undrafted free agent that uh just plays really really hard defensively he's knocking down open shots when he gets them it's just a really fun story uh within the league right now that he he has earned a rotation spot over their lottery pick johnny davis well,
1: and, and that's why it's so important to not write rookies off through the first week or two of the year. Like I, I remember scrolling through Twitter and always seeing Johnny Davis already such a bust. Like, can't believe we spent a lottery pick on this guy. Like, no, I mean the Wizards are competitive; they're above five hundred, and Jordan Goodwin is legitimately really good at basketball. So, yeah. this is this is less about Davis and more about the Wizards, and it's that's becoming clear as. You know the calendar continues to turn page after page,
0: yeah, and I mean the crazy thing about this for them is that this wind streak has basically occurred without Bradley Beal. I kind of right. thought that he'd play tonight, but apparently like I think that he's out of the covid protocols they they have him listed as like a um conditioning out tonight, Got it. so. I'm thinking he's out of the COVID protocols. Maybe not. Maybe I'm off on that, but they've gone on this win street basically without Bradley Beal and they've done really, really well to do so. Yeah. Yeah. They look great. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to prospects of the week. Let's, uh, l- let's do this. We kind of talked about a Bates top and that should realistically be a prospect of the week, but that felt like a bigger story. This is one where Matt Penny and I used to really love highlighting under the radar prospects. And, uh, Spins and I will continue to do so. Let's go, Spins. You're up. Oh, prospect first, of the week.
1: My first prospect of the week, and it's going to be a guy that I absolutely loved coming into this draft cycle, who had a, an impressive debut. Tucker Devries for Drake, six foot seven, like do it all kind of wing, who at the next level probably projects best as a shooter. Uh, you know, didn't mm-hmm. drill a ton of threes in their opener; it was only one of four. But it's the confidence that he shoots it with, how pristine his stroke is, and his ability to knock them down in different ways, off the bounce, spotting up, and a little bit off movement too. He just looks more athletic. He looks a lot quicker on the basketball court, and I think that pairs well for his game. Like He can handle it a little bit in the pick and roll and has this kind of old man-ish, just takes angles in space and makes the right play at the right time kind of attribute. If he can be a little bit more bursty and get to the rim consistently, if he can defend high quality wings at at a really consistent level, then I think that this is an absolute steal of a guy for uh, for the NBA draft purposes. You know, twenty two points, eight boards, three assists, two steals in his opener. We talked about the shot not falling from deep, really efficient near the basket. Uh, Just I think it's he's primed for a huge year at Drake and one of the better under the radar mid-major prospects.
0: Yeah. And I really like Tucker. I have not watched Drake yet this year. Um, I think that they've only played one game, right? Just one. Yep. Yeah. So I, I did not watch the IUPUI game. And the thing that I liked most about Tucker last year though, was just the feel, the confidence, the intelligence that he displayed, plus the shooting, obviously like you feel good that the shot's going to fall every single time he takes one that's open. So I really like this one. I've Tucker is like a top 80 ish prospect in the class Mm -hmm. right now. It could go much higher than that at the end of the day. Um, I want to see more where the athleticism settles in, but coming into the year, I I thought like very draftable prospect. Um, if things broke right for him, uh, my prospect of the week is a group of prospects. It is the entire Pepperdine basketball team. (laughs) Not even really the entire one, particularly. I want to talk about three guys, uh, I absolutely love, I, I I watched the Pepperdine game. So I wanted to get eyes on Max Lewis uh, and Javon Porter early. Cause I was like, okay, this is going to be good. It was the most fun I've had watching a basketball game, their win against rice. Then that I can remember, like it was just one of those like religious experiences where you're just like, this is a blast. This is so fun. This is what basketball should be. They play up tempo. They play five out, you know, they let Javon Porter like bring the ball up the court. It's super fun. So let's start with Max Lewis because I think that Max Lewis is probably the best prospect on this team. Although sure. Javon Porter is the next one. Um, Max Lewis had 29 points in this game against Rice and just looked like he was doing like a buddy Healed impersonation yeah. basically at six foot seven. Like he's moving incredibly well without the ball, had five passes, uh, that led to assists. I, I would say like, realistically a lot of them were just like reversals up like he was a corner three-point shooter who caught the ball on a cross corner kick and then just reversed it up to the wing i think he probably had three of those probably had like one or two other ones um had 29 points in this game hit threes off of relocations hit threes off of movement terrific athlete at six foot seven i think he is like an nba player max lewis just you know we'll see where it settles Mm. in but mm. I really, really like Max Lewis. You know, he's a wing that can shoot, that is a real NBA athlete. That combination tends to work well. Now, the more interesting one almost is Javon Porter. So, Javon Porter is six foot 11. This is Michael Porter and Jonte Porter's brother. He was a top 100 recruit in the 2022 class. He went to Pepperdine. My understanding is. Because he committed there early because Lorenzo Romar and Michael Porter senior have been best friends for many years. Lorenzo Romar is like a family friend of the Porters. And, you know, it was just like the perfect spot for Javon. Javon, from what I understand also was always on the radar of recruiting services, but definitely got better over the course of his senior year and went from being like a six foot eight big to like now he's listed at six foot 11. And there's a lot here like can really handle for a guy that's six foot 11 had a like caught the ball on the wing, drove did like a behind the back dribble into a floater in semi transition. And then on another play later in the second half caught ripped through dribbled right twice and then through like, a around underneath the basket kick out to his point guard at the top of the key who made a three. And you're just like, Whoa, this is unbelievable skill level for someone that is this big um, playing his first collegiate game as a teenager. Uh, look, I worry about the athleticism in a similar way to how I worried about um, Jonte's athleticism uh when he was a prospect and that's why i wasn't quite as high on jonte as some people were um yeah you were very high on Jante, right i loved Jante. i fell in love with yeah his game. yeah yeah and he was terrific like really really interesting prospect it's just the injuries yeah. obviously yeah um but in the case of javon I- i'm very interested to see what he looks like in a year in two months like The athleticism is a worry, like the twitchiness is a worry, but very, very, very skilled player. He ended up in Pepperdine's opener against Rice with uh, 16 points, seven rebounds, four assists. And then they lost the game to Cal State Fullerton over the weekend. Cal State Fullerton, tough defensive team you're going to lose those games sometimes. You know, Max Lewis had 15 points, nine rebounds, three assists. Javon Porter had 12 points and 10 rebounds. And then they also played today. I have not watched a second of this game against Alabama State, but... Uh, it looks like Javon Porter had six points, 10 rebounds, two blocks. And then Max Lewis had 12 points on four of seven from the field with five assists. Um, and this ended up being the Mike Mitchell Houston Millette show. And Oh, by the way, let's get to the third one. Houston Millette. I'm a little bit lower on Houston Millette than some people seem to be. Uh, I think that the release takes a little bit too long to get off, but he is a real shooter at six foot five who can play like a, you know, facsimile of a point guard, maybe is like a fair way to put it. Can occasionally okay. like bring the ball up the court and initiate the offense, but like definitely can't do it at the NBA level, I don't think. Um, Absolutely, like this is a high major talent team, period, point blank. Houston Millette, I believe, was committed to Penn State, Southern California kid, end up just deciding to stay home and go to Pepperdine. Um, yeah, this is a this is an awesome basketball team, like. I I would implore everyone to watch that Rice game. Given that the Alabama State game, they ended up with 91 points on 74 possessions. I would bet you that that's a fun game to watch. They play an incredibly attractive brand of basketball. Um, This team, this is like my Pepperdine fandom this year is probably going to end up being a recurring (laughs) bit on the podcast. Uh, I love this team unconditionally. Let's run with that the 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 Pepperdine
1: update of the week. Let's ride yeah. the wave, Sam. How about that? The
0: Pac-12 update, as uh, as Titus and Tate would call it, <laughs> the Pac-12 update of the week.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're a fun team. I, it's, it's funny you tuned me into watching Pepperdine and shot me one of those text messages of like, go watch this right now. I'm sitting there at like 6 how much 15. fun did you have? I, so it's six 15 in the morning, Sam. And I open up my laptop and I don't have my headphones nearby. So I'm watching the game on mute. And this is what I call a wife waker game because I'm just making noises that <laughs> my wife kind of turns around and is like, what is everything? Okay. And in her half delirious state, like, yeah, everything's yeah. fine. Like Porter just made an unbelievable pass. Go back to sleep. Honey, uh, yeah, this is was, fine. Don't worry about that, it. That was really fun. Uh, look, I, it's like we're only a couple games into the season like for a lot of the young guys or people that I haven't laid a ton of eyes on before this is first impression time no way shape or form am I ready to give kind of you know draft thoughts on any of them but as a oh, prospect yeah. of the week in general like Pepperdine so much fun man what an experience
0: what an experience spins, tell the people where they can find your work, tell the people what's going on. I, I want to, I'm going to do movies later in the week because sure. I've watched a lot of them uh, in the past, like 72 hours. And I want to, like, I, I watched Don't Worry Darling and I need to talk to about someone or about that movie with someone. Yeah, My hot take is that is a good movie. Uh, do, you, do you remember? Did you see any of the press stuff for Don't Worry, Darling? Spins did that like cross yeah. your radar? Not at all. So yeah. yeah, it was a it was an experience where Harry Styles called it a movie, like a real movie that you go to the theater to see a movie or something like that. Uh, while Chris Pine like disassociated next to him and was like, "Wait, what are you talking about? Do, do you know like what you're saying?" Uh, like just had a look on his face. Like he was just ready for impending death. Um, and then is there was this, like a spit gate kind of thing. Is this the Olivia the, Wilde thing?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. I got you.
0: I, I'm with it. Yeah. And like, it seems like almost certain that there was no spitting uh, at the premiere, <laughs> but straight up. I think that if none of that happened and we were just judging the art, Uh, of this movie based on what it is. I firmly believe that people would think this is a good movie. It is a genuinely good movie. Um, And then uh, I watched a few other things as well. I watched some like weird movie where John Cena is like an independent candidate for president. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) Oh no.
1: No. No more, no more former WWE people running for office. We just, we, we had one of those Jesse, the body that Trump made it. He's in the hall of fame there. We're done. We're done. Cena, pack it up.
0: No, I love it. It was, it was great. It was, it was a, it was a weird movie. Um, he was the, seriously, he was the best part of it. I'll say that. Shout out John Cena. Um, yeah, no, maybe I'll talk about that with Schindler later in the week, but, um, maybe, maybe I'll make, uh, I'll make Mark watch a couple of weird movies. <laughs> um, Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on.
1: Yeah, find me on Twitter at and one underscore. YouTube is just my name, Adam Spinella. Uh, diving into some retro scouting reports, some throwbacks to prospects over the last several years that wasn't able to put out some film on, using that as a basis for trying to compare where the top of this class is coming into the year. Just released one on Luka Doncic, which, by the way, what an unbelievable player he was when he was 18 years old over in Spain. Uh, So be on the lookout for some of those on our YouTube channel. But it's basketball season for me, Sam. First game for the the boys' Latin Lakers this upcoming week. We've got about a nine-day push until Thanksgiving break. Uh, The the high school basketball season, very segmented in terms of, of when you have games. Right, We've got quick push till Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to finals, a small kind of break in there from exams to Christmas break. And then we sprint once January gets here. So uh, it's, it's a fun time of year to be back in the gym every single day and, and getting hoarse by the middle of the week. But you know what? Uh, basketball season is in full force and you won't find anybody happier about it than this guy right here.
0: I love it. Go follow Adam on all of his many platforms. Uh go subscribe to the YouTube channel for the Game Theory Podcast at um Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. Uh yeah, I will have the Zach Edie thing will be in written form over on the Athletic this week. I don't I might do like a little thing where I do a um like first couple of weeks scouting takeaways kind of dive depends on if there are good games this week i know champions classic is tuesday i'm sure that i will end up talking about that with schindler at some point um, on the midweek podcast because i think mark would love to talk draft at some point as well um mark by the way big jet howard guy i know that um okay which makes me a little bit more interested in jet so Keep it locked here. Uh, If you're listening in podcast form, this is going to be the point where we get to the Zach Eady interview. If you're listening uh, over on YouTube, uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. All right. We're here with Purdue big man, Zach Eady, second team, all Big Ten last year, undeniably one of the most productive players in college basketball last season averaged 14 points about eight rebounds in 19.9 minutes of action if i remember correctly per game zach thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me so The way that we're going to structure these is obviously we're going to talk to Zach a little bit about just his journey in basketball this year. And Zach's journey, for people who don't know about it, is one of the most interesting uh, developmental stories that I can remember within basketball. And then we're going to talk just about some interests that he has. He's doing some really, really cool nonprofit stuff up in canada and then finally we're going to talk just about basketball because that's what the show is about we're going to dig into tape zach's going to teach me a few things about being seven foot four posting up in the big 10 dealing with super giants like that among which he is the biggest of all of them and then we're just going to talk you know maybe about i've heard you're pretty nasty at Fortnite, so we might need to talk about that a little bit on the street <laughs> that's the word on the street that you're uh, you're pretty nasty with the sticks so we're going to talk about that so let's talk about your developmental story first You are from Canada. You grew up playing hockey and baseball. You didn't really grow up playing basketball at all. So how did you kind of come in to basketball beyond just being, you know, seven foot four and being like someone that I'm sure people were trying to bring to basketball all the time?
2: Yeah. So I think it's a combination of things. I think if if I was born in America, I think I would have had no choice to play basketball. Um, (laughs) Right. If I was in Canada, kind of people – Sports are they're big over there, but I think America's, Americans look at sports as like jobs opportunities, whereas we kind of look at sports as like something you do in your free time, something you have fun with. Um, so for me, kind of, I would play baseball because I really liked it. I, really, yep. I, I wanted, like, when I got older, obviously I wanted to, like, pursue it in college and pursue it professionally, but when I was younger, first playing, you just play baseball because you like baseball. I played hockey because I liked hockey. And I didn't play basketball because everyone wanted me to play basketball. Not because I really mm-hmm. hated me against the sport. Just I didn't really like people telling me <laughs> what to do almost. Yeah. Um, especially when I was that young. So I kind of yeah. stuck away from basketball. I refused to even play like on school teams to play like that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch a basketball. Um, yeah. I played a lot of baseball, a lot of hockey. Um, basically all the way up until I quit hockey going into high school my parents wanted me to focus on one sport and high school they didn't believe I could do like two sports at high school um, and have a social life at the same time so they figured that uh, one sport social life high school was the best so I chose baseball I really I really liked baseball I thought I was gonna my goal was to like be a college pitcher my goal was to try to pursue the MLB and like all, like all of that but kind of going into my 10th so I went to actually a uh, I went to a baseball school, like, baseball-specific school in my ninth grade year. I left, like, all my, like, friends, all the ones I grew up with. Um, Still stayed in Toronto, but it was just a different high school with uh, people I didn't really know. Um, That was cool. It was a lot of fun kind of doing that and really engaging in the process. That's kind of the first year I started, like, lifting weights, really. Uh, I was 6'10 at the time, so people would probably look at me weird when I was playing baseball. but
0: um, Well, you were a pitcher, right?
2: Yeah, I was a 6'10 pitcher.
0: <laughs> I am, I'm I'm sure, certain that uh, all of the batters were just absolutely terrified every time yeah. that you were on the
2: mound. Every pitcher, every pitcher basically to be a sinker. It comes on from so high.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's miserable. I played baseball uh, up until like 10th grade or so. I just realized I wasn't going to be good enough to play moving forward. In um, God, every time I face someone tall, I never face someone who's six foot 10. But good Lord, it was just the release point was so high. It's miserable. Like, it's so miserable.
2: Yeah, the, the raised mound had to go another like foot. Foot oh, that.
0: So I was even it, well and speaking of like adding a half foot like imagine you playing hockey like playing like you know you were probably what like seven foot one in skates at the time right yeah,
2: i think i was i quit when i was like six i think i was like six 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 seven when i quit it was going into yeah. like the summer of um summer of, like my high school year so yeah I I
0: was
2: six. so 10, you go to high
0: school yeah so you go to this baseball academy and, you know, you're enjoying it, it seems like.
2: Mm-hmm. It was fun. I, like, I had a lot, of, a lot of fun. I got a lot better, I think. But then kind of, um, I, I, when I was doing all that, I kind of realized like, my, my love for baseball like, might not be like completely all there.
3: Mm.
2: And so I, I kind of like reeled it back a little bit. I went, I went back to like my local high school in 10th grade um, and I kind of just, I'm still playing baseball. I'm still having fun with baseball. Um, but then I was dealing with some shoulder injuries like, and some other stuff. Hitting was, I was still a hitter, so my hit, strike zone was getting super huge. It was just mm. a lot of like kind of external factors that were taking away my love for the game of baseball a little bit.
0: Do they um, even have bats that like are your size?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was using big, big bats for sure. They were, I wasn't like the strongest dude at the time, so they were, they yeah. were definitely heavy for me. Um, but so I went back to that school, and that's kind of when. My parents realized I had a lot of free time. Like they didn't really like yeah. they 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 made me quit the sport, which is was messed up because then they made me play another sport within the following mm-hmm. year they realized I was at home too much during the winter and didn't yeah. have anything to do. And basketball happens to be a winter sport, so I kind of originally picked up basketball for like cross training, um, like cross training for baseball. Yeah, stay active during the winter, stay in shape. I like, kind of stay out of trouble almost, but uh, <clears throat> it was, I had a lot of fun since I started playing it. Like um, the more I progressed, the more I remember learning, like reflecting on it, I was learning like basic stuff that seemed so complicated, like, like a hook shot. And like like yeah. the, when you do your right, left into a layup, like yeah. it's, it's, uh, that was like so complicated. I had to do like a full practice to figure out how to like, Dude, right, left, and then also like left to right with like, like different hands, like just super, super basic concepts. I had to like really work on. Um, just in like tenth grade when everyone kind of already knew basketball, like everyone played it right. already knew. So I, I started like super behind, and um, but my friend's dad was the one that really, really got me into basketball.
3: Mm. You know,
2: he took over a local team. It wasn't anything. wasn't anything crazy. Like, it wasn't even AAU level. It was below AAU. Yeah. Um and we kinda just played there. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I remember remember um he originally came to me with the idea and I basically told him no. And he ordered a jersey for me anyways for the team because <laughs> he knew he knew I was gonna play. So I kinda came back to him, I said, I wanna play. Um yeah. he had a jersey for me already. Uh I played, had a lot of fun. I remember the first practice I went to. I, I don't know what I liked about it. I remember we literally just ran suicides like for like 20 minutes straight in that practice, and I just I just really liked it for some reason. Um, yeah, went back, had a lot of fun. Played that year, had a lot of fun. Um, and then that kind of that was like before AAU season. Uh, that AAU season, I started playing. I played with it, uh, the Northern Kings. They're based out of Toronto. Yeah, picked up like I think two offers in my first AAU season. Um, then immediately I transferred to IMG. So, yeah, that was my like my third high school in, in three years, almost for <laughs> for two different sports now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And like, you know, it's it's just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy that this is the trajectory. I mean, at this time, you're you're 16, right? And like, you've just picked up basketball within the last year, and you're already at IMG because mm-hmm. you know people want to develop you as a basketball player. Uh, yeah. It's it's interesting, like watching you. I feel like you can see some of the remnants of, you know, having done like a bit of baseball training, especially I think having done hockey training, just because, you know, hockey training in terms of conditioning is just so crazy, right? Like, you just have to be able to go and go and go like through the pain. And I feel like the way you run the floor, the way that you can actually just like kind of move over big spaces. Like, I I feel like your ability to constantly just like go, especially in transition, even like you're better moving in terms of like being able to get up and down the court than most guys that are, you know, seven foot one, seven foot two, and you're seven foot yeah. four, obviously. So uh, how do you feel those remnants of other sports have kind of impacted your game?
2: Yeah, I'd say, um, there's like two definite ways that when people ask me that question, that kind of answer to like, I think baseball really helped me, um, develop a really like good touch with my like right hand. Um, mm because in, I love pitcher, obviously, and you have to kind of have those, like, like the ball comes off these two fingers, you have to have really good control with these two fingers. You have to kind of be able to put different spins on with these two fingers, stuff like that. And that's kind of in basketball also, even though you shoot with your entire hand, the ball yeah. still comes off of these two fingers. So you have to, like, have really good control. Same with hook shots. You shoot hook shots. They come off with these two fingers. So I think that really, yeah. really helped me. Um, and, and baseball is obviously really, really... Intensive hand-eye coordination sport, so that just I kind of had that as a baseline um, as a, an advantage over some of the people I played against. You know, yeah. you know, you always see those tall people that they can't they can't really control their arms and legs. I attribute baseball uh, a lot, of, like a lot of baseball, to helping me be coordinated like that. And then in, um, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Yeah, no, that was great. <laughs> Love
2: it. Yeah, and then in a hockey, I think. Um, in hockey, really developed, like, kind of, like, my, my physicality, like, my, like, I'm cool with getting hit, I'm cool with people hitting me, I'm cool with giving out the hits, like, I can I can lower my shoulder, I can take a hit, I can do everything, and yeah. then, kind of also just being, like, tough, like, being able to just, kind of, play through a little bit, or, like, maybe, maybe, you, like, rolls your a little bit, and it's not feeling the greatest yeah. field, so just play through that, and not let it bother you, and stuff like that, um, it's something that hockey a lot and um whenever you look at hockey players they always have those like big legs you know
0: what i mean like oh yeah yeah like
2: those hockey player like i definitely have those like hockey player legs like the quads <laughs> and calves yeah what is with that sport that's something that definitely helped me
0: oh it's just like driving off of skates isn't it yeah like i grew up in pittsburgh so like i grew up around hockey you know for years upon years you know i never i, I tried to ice skate once and like literally split open my chin to where i had to get <laughs> stitches so it did not go well for me but like you just kind of look at the way that those guys drive off of their like legs and off of their quads and everything i mean it's just it, it looks like it looks like absolute hell to me like whenever they're at the end of a shift and they're just like trying to get back to the bench
2: like. yeah, I talking in like in shift, we always go it's like a minute but it's like the hardest minute ever. You're, yeah. you're gassed after that minute and then you go back in the next minute. You got to kind of stay with your knees bent at all times. You're always in like a squat for a minute here in a squat. You're cutting, you're taking hits, you're going side to side, and you got to keep good balance at all times. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you go down to IMG mm-hmm. and then you start to get training for the first time. But I think like people don't realize like how nascent maybe they do now after listening to you talk. But like how early you were in your development? I mean, you didn't play on like the main IMG team your first year. That team was loaded. Let's be real about it. Like uh, that year, I think you had Jaden Springer, Mark Williams, Matthew Morrell mm-hmm. who's at Ole Miss now, Musa Diabate, Jalen Johnson. That's no, that was three. A,
2: that, was the team that I was on the team before me when I was. Oh, there, really? That was a national championship team. They had. Jaden Springer, Noah Farrakhan, Armando Baycott, Jeremiah Williams, yeah, uh, Josh Green. <laughs> we had a lot of really, really good dudes.
0: Yeah, it's like multiple first-round picks, you know, yeah, like I
2: mean, yeah. some, some really good freshmen too, like Jarvis Walker. Uh, Brandon yeah, I feel about at Tennessee now. Just a lot of really highly rated guys, so.
0: Just like a casual, like, five first-round picks in the NBA on one team, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. They reloaded the next year, and they brought four more and one first-round picks in, so it's just – that place is different.
0: So one of the things that I got told from the folks at IMG was basically, like, you and Mark Williams would just battle every day in practice. Does that kind of line up for you as well?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of – that's how I always am when I'm, when I'm practicing. Like, I kind of don't believe in, like – I don't think there's any point to going to practice if you're not going to like actually try hard and like go hard in practice. Like yeah. I know there's some guys who they they kind of their thing is just kind of coasting in practice, and then when they get to the games, they can really just go. But I can't yeah. I can't really do that. Um, so when I go to practice, I go to practice to really work hard, uh, and that's kind of something I've always done. It's something I've done here, and did a IMG for sure.
0: Yeah. What What are some of your memories just about those like that like early? Time right where you were, you know, really learning and going up against like Mark Williams, who went 15th in last year's NBA draft, and having to deal with guys like Jalen Johnson, who yeah. has grown up playing basketball. Like, what what are some of your memories about just kind of developing against what I would imagine at the time was like a level of basketball that you hadn't really seen before?
2: Yeah, so I think kind of for me to explain that, I would have to go back to, like my first year IMG when I wasn't really on the national team. Um, that was kind of a, a crazy year for me because people were saying words like just basic basketball terminology that I just had no idea, like like drop,
3: uh, yeah,
2: ball screen, like hedge, like do some, like basic basketball terminology. I just had no clue. I'd never heard it really. Um, and I, I was I was lost for the while. I remember the people people I was going against. They were like they were pretty good, but it wasn't it wasn't the national team level. It wasn't. Like, right, like they were, they were good high school players. They were really good high school players, but they weren't anything crazy. Yeah, uh, and I was just, I just got my ass busted for a while. <laughs> like I was, I was good. Um, and then I remember kind of going through that and slowly but surely, kind of getting a little bit better, a little bit better, like day by day. But it's definitely tough. Like you know, when you're, when you feel like you can be so much better than you kind of are doing, and then everyone yeah. around you. Especially when you're tall. when you're tall and, and someone who's like kind of shorter is doing better than you you look at you. Like you're like you're crazy, you know what I mean? So I just had to like push through a lot of that like kind of stuff and just take it day by day, you know, get some extra reps in wherever I can and um just kinda of grind out the process. And then I remember a big like a big uh eye opener for me was going to X year's AAU because you know you're kinda of playing against the same people at IMG all every day. You play against some pretty good competition in Florida. So you can't really, like, tell how much better you're getting. Like, you can tell, like, okay, I'm definitely... yeah. I you know, feel more comfortable. The game slowed down me for me a little bit. But I was also not playing on the national team. So I was like, is this sort of really, like, am I really getting better? And then I went to that age. Yeah. Decently with my age group, I wasn't anything, like, crazy. I was kind of fluctuating with my age group in a year up just to play as much as I could. And then that following year, I went back to play au and i was like i was like our best center on the on the europe age group mm. so that kind of like was a boost confidence for me because i just felt like i could play that level all of a sudden even though so i i know i really know how much better i got and then bam you play against some people that were really challenging <laughs> for you that year that year before and then now they're not as challenging and that was a yeah. base and i went to do some more things i got some more off that was kind of like the year that I got, I got a bunch of offers. I was here. I got my Baylor offer. I was here. I got Purdue offer. Um, I was here. I got like a bunch of the really, the offers I was really looking for. And um, then I went yeah. back to IMG. And then I, I was feeling really, and then I went back to IMG like really confident because of that AAU season. I kind of built off of it. And I was playing against the people that weren't on the national team. And I was doing really, really, really well. Suddenly so they were like, all right, you got to move up to the national team. And then I had to basically just <laughs> start the process all over again. <laughs> just I was Oh, that's how it's been. Like, yeah. Like just as I'm feeling comfortable, I just move me up a. I just get moved up a level, and then I gotta really right. feel uncomfortable And then it's been good though, because I've I've kind of learned like how to embrace being uncomfortable and like embrace like kind of embrace that I'm not I'm not there yet, and this is where I need to get. But right, I get there, you know what I mean?
0: I yeah. No, and it's I'm, yeah. And it's funny that you put it that way because, like, I feel like you were one of the surprise, like, breakout freshmen the year that, you know, you first got to Purdue, right? And I'm sure that that came from just facing that, like, crucible of, you know, having to face Mark Williams, having to face all the dudes that you did at IMG every single day. And then you get to the Big Ten, and it's like, oh, well, I've been dealing with three first rounders at IMG for the last five years or last two years anyway. Like, you know, all due respect to Kofi Coburn, who's also terrific, and all due respect to Trace Jackson Davis, but like I- I've been at this level before and, and you've seen it, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's definitely different. It was definitely like an adjustment period for me kind of going yeah. to college. Um, obviously, like Mark Brown, he was a great high school player, but he was, that was it. He was a great high school player. And then you go against people who are yep. great in college, it's just like another level up. Yeah, but it would help me a lot because I went against Trayvon Williams day one. He was a he's he's a great player in our league. He was a great player in the league but when I got there. He's always been a great player in our league. Yeah. So that really was again like me. I felt very uncomfortable when I first got there. I was feeling confident, and then I went in, and again he just kind of busted my ass again. Like just <laughs> like like for like a month straight, I was. That's kind of like again I felt really kind of like discouraged, but then yeah, you kind of like learn to just kind of live in that feeling, and then. It almost helps you in a way because then you, so you you like your mind's always on it, like always on with kind of like the things that you're doing, how you can get better. Like I remember I was staying, I still do this, but I was like, that's when I really started getting like, okay, I'm, a, I'm gonna go to practice, I'm gonna work hard in practice, then I'm gonna like spend half an hour after practice, I'm just gonna work on like my hook shot or like something simple, yeah, like my hook yeah. shot or my free throws or something that I can really like take from that and like put it into my game. That's where I kind of got my efficient hook shot and so stuff like that, and then I would, after that I was done, I would um, my other coach, Coach B, he, he's helping a lot with Brantley. I would go with him. Uh, he would lift up. He would go up to lift up for practice. I would shoot my shots. We both shower, and then I would head up to his office, and we would um, just watch film another half hour. So, mm. like practice would end at like five, five thirty. I would leave at like by the time. I ice bath and I ate as well. I would leave at like six thirty-seven every day. I just kept doing that because I knew, like, like, kind of when you're, um, when you're desperate, you do a lot of, like, you do a lot of things. Like, I was, like, desperate. I knew I needed to get better, like, right now. Like, it wasn't, there wasn't, like, any time for me. Um, and that's yeah. kind of something that I've also, like, taken um, from that and kind of just kept up with that. because Just because I've gotten better, isn't I can't just keep doing that same hours I can't keep getting better, like, I remember, this is a quote by Derek Teeter, I go by a lot, it's um, like, play like you're the best, but like work like you're the sixth man, or something yeah. like that, or play like you're yeah. like like, do like that. Like That's something yeah. I've really taken, uh, especially this year, and kind of tried to work on a lot, but like you said, it's just, it's, it's tough. Um, it was definitely tough my freshman year, but it helped me a lot, it helped me kind of turn to that quote-unquote breakout player, and I remember when I first got here, their Coaches, they never told me, but like when I was there, but they told me like it was now like, they weren't sure if I was going to play, they weren't sure if I was in a red shirt, they, they had no idea.
0: Yeah.
2: There was like there was a lot of questions around me, especially when I first got here. Um, but I just kind of kept working, I ended up working out.
0: Yeah, you, you, I feel like that that's a better way to put it, like just people knew who you were, obviously you were at IMG and everything, but like nobody knew what to expect because you were like behind a few guys at IMG and it was a question. And then you just got to the big 10 and it was like, Oh no, this dude can go from the jump. You know what I mean? Like, and you're still obviously improving and still getting better, but like you, you were ready to go. Like you were ready to play at least 15 minutes a night in the big 10. And that's not nothing, you know, that's a credit to you and it's a credit to your work ethic for sure. Yeah. I, mean, um,
2: really, I remember though. I don't know if I was exactly ready to go. Started the big time. <laughs> it was it was definitely I hit the big time wall freshman year. No doubt about it. That was yeah.
0: That
2: was rough for a few games. But I, yeah.
0: yeah, I remember you had like a big. You had like a really big game in the non-conference, if I remember correctly. Like you dropped yeah. like twenty-five or something in a non-conference game, yeah, and everyone was true. just like, "Whoa, who is that?"
2: Yeah, in our first game, I think I had like he you know, like, said like nineteen, I think, and like six dunks or five dunks, something like that. <laughs> Against, yeah. like, Liberty. And then we played like Clemson and I have like 18 again. Yeah. And after that kind of team starts like get, it's, it's different. When teams start game planning you and they really have you on the scouting report, it's different. So that was something I really had to adjust to.
0: Yeah. So before we get into basketball, because I do want to get into basketball and kind of jump from there. Uh, I also think it's important to talk about just some of the NIL initiatives that you've been a part of, because. What I really like about your NIL initiatives is that you've decided to, you know, work with nonprofits more so than work with, you know, other, you know, for-profit companies. So I do just kind of want to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about these nonprofits, because I think that most of them are in Canada, if not all of them are in Canada. All the ones I found are in Canada. Um, And I think that, you know, it'd be a good opportunity just for you to kind of talk about some of the organizations that you're working with right now. Yeah.
2: I mean... Appreciate it. there's um there's the kind of three main ones I was really working with um, There's one that I was working with even before kind of I started in and I was the CCYA. Mm. the Chinese Canadian youth basketball League, the Chinese Canadian youth Association um, and they just kind of set up different camps like I work with the basketball obviously they set up different like sports camps um, around Toronto for like uh, Chinese youth and I, I really like it for basketball because I've noticed, I think you probably, everyone noticed that like, there's not that many Asians that really are at the highest level in basketball. Like, they, they play it, yeah. but they're not really represented. Like, there's, like, you can probably think of the big ones. Like, there's, like, there's Jeremy Lin, there's Yuta Watanabe, there's Yao Ming, there's... Rui. Rui. Like, yeah. there's not, there's not, like, a plethora. So, kind of, um, getting, getting the Chinese people, like, involved in basketball young I think is a great thing um, mm. and then also kind of just helping out I remember I, I've, I've done I've met Jeremy Lin through it which was crazy um, <laughs> I remember my mom was, she was freaking out when we met him because she, <laughs> she, she grew up obviously when she was a kid she, there was like he was like the Chinese guy you know what I mean yeah like he was yeah. there was a Sandy in New York he was going crazy my mom was like he'd be like he was like an idol for her and then yeah, meet him through this Chinese Canadian basketball thing which was great um, and then I've worked with other other organizations like uh, the, the Toronto Humane Society. It's kind of something I've, I've always I've always yeah. believed, always supported. Uh, I think my family has adopted five animals from the Humane Society. We had two guinea pigs and three dogs.
0: That's amazing.
2: So, yeah, we've always kind of believed in the Humane Society. I kind of there's one out here. Um, we go every once in a while. We'll just go walk some dogs. there. It's called Natalie's Second Home. Uh, chance of oh, deal. so let's go there like certain th- certain times you just go there and just walk dogs it's great um, yeah so kind of i always believe that humane society is something i kind of need help and need supporting and then um the last one i was working with was um uh, inuit tap hold on before i mispronounce I have, it. I, have, I have a t-shirt hold
0: on yeah i've i have the name here inuit taparits kanatami We've lost, we've lost Zach momentarily while he's going to get his uh, ITK shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
2: Yeah. So to see, um, yeah, I just called them the ITK, but they're the Inuit Tapiriq, um, Kenatami. and they're kind of uh, they push for like the for like. Kind of representation of like the uh, indigenous people, like through government, and, like passing laws and like stuff like that. I met the the leader of the organization. He came down, so uh, actually, my apartment. And he he's the one that gave me this shirt. This shirt, kind of, mm. um, it, you were on September twenty eighth to kind of show your support, mm. and kind of, like various things. But uh, it's just a great, great organization and someone that because I've always believed ever since I was a kid that they're kind of almost misrepresented. They were, everyone knows that they were done wrong, obviously, but I kind of, is one thing that I was, I've really kind of taken to heart. I remember, well, I remember I came home after I learned about it in um whatever, we were like fifth grade. And I my mom is what I really want to do is I really want to help when I grow up. I want to, I want to kind of try to provide support to these people as much as I can. Mm. So that's, one of the deals I tried to set up immediately.
0: Well, it's great. It's great to use your outlet to do it as well. You've developed this great, you know, megaphone to be able to do so with basketball. And it's one of the, one of the great opportunities that you have. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. I remember so, I it from someone, I'm not sure who it was. It was, if you're just a great athlete, um, if you're doing it wrong, it's like, mm-hmm. you should use your use a platform for something greater. If you have a platform.
0: Idea. No, I love it. It's amazing. Let's transition from there to actually talking about basketball. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be fun because you have, in some ways, what looks to the viewer as a very simple game, right? Post, score, run the floor, establish position, go, right? But I have a feeling that you're going to be able to explain to me like how – complicated some of this stuff is especially when yeah. you're down there banging with john harar as we're about to discuss right so the first things that i pulled here and we're going to add these to the stream now is i pulled a couple of clips these are two back-to-back possessions against penn state i want to say in february if i remember correctly big yeah. yeah yeah oh this is big ten tournament yeah you're right this is going to be march so yeah. on this first one you're going to set up John Harar here. John Harar is a really underrated defender, and you're going to get to your hook shot. Dude's strong. You're just going to go. And then here's the second one here. You're going to bounce it right twice, and then you're just going to go drop step over the back shoulder. So how much are you trying to – how much are you looking at this as like, I'm setting up my opponent for one thing versus something else? What is kind of going through your mind here as you're working through these two possessions?
2: Yeah, so um, I kind of – you can't really – go into your moves thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You kind of have to always take what the defense gives you. Like, if you look in this first clip, he doesn't really get his foot, his top foot, around enough. Like, you know what I mean? Like, his, his I, feel yeah. like I'm, I feel like he's kind of giving me middle a lot, and I'm, I'm going to take my middle. I'm going to take my right hand. That's kind of like my bread and butter um, every single time. Um, I just kind of go over the top. You can't really do anything about it.
0: Uh, yeah. And John's big. John's like six foot ten, you know, everything, and he's physical like you are. Like he's willing to put his body on you. Like it's it's not the easiest move here against him. No, definitely
2: not. And then kind of the second one, I feel like he kind of he kind of you can see with his left arm, he kind of jumps out and tries to like make a play on the ball a little bit. Um, so that's kind of when when someone does that, they can't they can't try to make a play like that, and then also have balance to kind of come back to the baseline like that. So that's. And just kind of an easy drop step into it. And then you gotta keep make sure since I'm tall, people this summer people always like say, Oh, you're just tall, but it's it's you have to use your height to your advantage. You know, keep that ball high on the drop step. Or else like you can see it in that clip, Seth Lundy, he's just gonna take that ball from me. If I don't can yeah. of go over the top of him like that. And then so if I go over, he can't make a ball, he's gonna he's gonna hit my arm if he tries to make it that'd be an and one. So he's just kind of well, just,
0: And speaking of fouling, like the thing that is just immediately evident to me is you're seven foot four, but you're getting like below Harar's waist here, even with him, like trying to get a wide base to try and stop you. I mean, your bend and your flexibility. I mean, God, we all know that college referees love calling charges as much as anything, and they'll catch you if you don't do this. And I I really like the way that you use your bend on post-ups to be able to move guys backward without fouling.
2: Yeah, it's always always low man wins. Everyone always knows that. So you kind of, I'm tall, so I have to really, really try to get low on my, <laughs> my moves. So
3: just yeah, try
2: to get low, and then you can't if, if if people are smart enough defenders in college. If, if I leave with my shoulder, if someone's going to go down, and I'm probably going to lose my balance. It's going to be a foul on me. So right. just kind of have, have making sure you're leading like with your entire side of your body, um, so you can stay on balance if they go down, and then that'd be a foul on them. So just various things like that kind of are some things that I really struggle with like my freshman year. Um, You know, making sure I'm not leading with my elbows, making sure I keep my elbows down behind me so that I can't just accidentally hit someone in the head, foul on me. That's something I really struggled with my freshman year too. So just kind of various tweaks. People, you know, they see my game and it's not, I'm not out there like cross, cross, you know, behind the back, step back. You know what I mean? Like,
3: right. Yeah.
2: Not like highlight reels. It's just, I'm doing. It's people don't understand how hard it is to do like the basics really well.
0: Yeah,
2: and that's something I really focus on. Like, there's there's tons of guys around our league that are just really good at doing the basics, and that they're really good in general. They can be all heights and sizes. You know, we have we have some guys like that, like like Mason, um, like Sasha, like just guys who were really really solid guys. who could they, they could knock a three point down. They weren't going to turn the ball over. They'll be yeah. rebound. They'll do their job every single time. So I think that's something I, I really, really, really try to do. And you know, I'm not I'm not gonna make those flashy plays or highlight plays that people would consider oh the high skill plays. But I just try to make the right play every time.
0: Speaking of Mason, I've heard Mason looks really good for you guys in practice.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, a lot of guys. Our our team is kind of really taking this season super, super, super seriously. We kind of have heard a lot of the things that people are saying about us. Where we're supposed to be so we take a lot of that kind of personal
0: yeah no i love that um and the other thing i want to point out here just in terms of establishing position early so you set this screen here across for who is that mason who is that yeah, mason. yeah it's mason um and you establish your position early you actually get hurrah pretty deep here coming off this screen like your foot is basically touching the block at this point. How do you go about trying to establish your position? How are you trying to, you know, get a guy deep on the block pretty early?
2: Yeah. So you, the main key for getting a guy deep is that you have to, you have to be like the first one to hit. Like if he hits you before you hit him, he's going to kind of push you out maybe two, three more feet. And if you kind yep. to hit him, you'll get maybe another foot deeper. Um, yep. so there's a lot of different like, like moves in order to do that. Like, they're not, again, they're not flashy moves, but again, you can just, for one, you can, like a first clip, I just kind of put my, my butt on him and you couldn't really do anything about that. The second clip you kind of, you can also just hit him with your shoulder and then kind of roll into him like that Like with your, and then put yeah. your butt. The main key for post-ups is you want to make sure to get your butt on him. You want to make sure to, to kind of close off as much space as possible. Like there, like you can't really move to make like, because some dudes are smaller dudes. They'll try to, they know they can't really uh, defend me if I get the ball. So they'll try to jump out and make a play when the ball's in the air. And if you get your butt on them, they can't really do.
0: Well, and just look at this still here too, just even your two feet, right? Like you're established, wide base. He's not going to be able to move you at that point, especially with where his base is right now. Just look at his feet. I mean, they're both pointing different directions. Like they're kind of inside of yours. Like he just doesn't really have a shot to really even bother you, I feel like at this point. Once you get that kind of that deep, it's just kind of over for you. Yeah. So let's move to this next little clip here, which is going to be you guys often start games to get you a touch, right? Like that often feels like the goals. Let's get Zach a touch early. This one, you're going to come down. You're going to set a screen for Jay, and You're going to turn and you're just going to absolutely pin what I believe is Philip or Bracca yeah. Is that who that was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so w- what's happening here? What are you reading here? Is you're trying to just pin this guy?
2: Yeah, so our goal is um teams would obviously get they would game plan J I, I guess they're sealing
0: him, sorry. Not yeah. Him. yeah.
2: They, would, they would game plan um, Jaden super, super hard. Like they don't want to give him any space. They kinda of figure whenever we run plays like action for Jaden that he's gonna get the ball. So that's kinda of what this team thought here, Iowa. Um you see Jaden kinda of cutting off my screen, they figure that Eric's gonna dribble he makes that dribble down. Everyone in the building thinks he's gonna pass it to Jaden right there. But instead, yep. he reverses it. He's going to see my defender. He thinks Jay's going to get it, so he goes into three quarters. But I'm just not even, like, looking for J.I.'s touch because our play is to go back to the middle. So I kind of step. Yep. Uh, right here, you see I'll try to step around the, his back foot. And as soon as I do that, he's screwed. He knows it. I, I know I've won kind of this rep. <laughs> like, as soon as kind of I get around to his back, I can just.
0: So this is your like, step around here, yeah, right I'll, here. I'll, I'll swim yep.
2: over him. And then, like at this point, there's really nothing he can do from stopping me to get a catch. So he's trying to just get in between me and the rim to just prevent me dunking. Um, yeah, that's kind of his goal here. And then I just drop that with use my right hand, and that's kind of my my go-to move. I'll take that every single time.
0: Yeah, and Ribbaca in general is you know he's more of a stretch big, right? Like this isn't this isn't what his. Yeah, is it, right like yeah would, once would, once you bury him it's done
2: <laughs> yeah he's he's definitely a smaller big um they were they were really good at kind of they're i was really good um at doubling you know they were really good at kind of those posts uh, those um full core traps That was kind of their thing last year and he really fit into that but yeah had to figure how to get action in where they can't really double and this was
0: like, yeah and he's not a bad player or anything he just doesn't he can't deal with that specifically exactly. he hurts you in other ways
2: yeah. yeah he was actually one of the strongest dudes
0: really that's interesting because yeah he's probably he came from like north dakota i think and he was what probably like 235 something like that that's yeah. interesting that you could feel him you felt like more than others
2: yeah he's
0: strong. so this one here you're gonna get i believe cliffo maruyi mm-hmm. here you're gonna get behind him and you're just gonna pin him right you're gonna pin him and move him up the lane so what are you trying to do here
2: yeah, kind of we try to um, – like you see Mason clears out, so there's just going to be no one at the rim. Um, and my yeah. job is to just work him up, kind of get underneath him and just clear as much space as possible to give make this pass for Mason easy. And then I just kind of you know, keep it high on the catch, keep um, and then go up quickly, or as quick as yeah. possible.
0: Um, it's, if it's not the same play as last time, it's very similar, right? Where Yeah. Kind of,
2: yeah. It's just a different kind of look out of it. Um,
0: yeah, totally. Of
2: me kind of getting around completely. It's an over-the-top look. Right. You just have to push it up as much as possible. Get your um, butt into him and get, like you said, like low. Really got to get low on these and then just go up and finish. Yeah.
0: And Cliff's, Cliff's more of a longer defender, whereas Robroca a smaller guy that's strong. Uh, you know, and Cliff, I, I would imagine Cliff is also pretty strong. But like... Everyone in our league is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say right. um Everyone, I'm sure in the Big Ten is quite strong.
2: um' five times a week.
0: But yeah, you're the way you're just moving him up the lane. Uh, is, you know, you're trying to create as much space as possible, like you said. I, I like it, it's an easy question to ask, just like how difficult is that? But like, how are you going about doing that? It looks like you're just getting lower than him at that point, right?
2: Yeah, you really just want to like you want to hit first. Like that's a big key in all of these. You. you want to. He, if he's he seen kind of standing up straight, that's kind of when you really want to get low and get into him, and that's when you can create all that that space for the over the top look.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know you you were obviously one of the most effective post players in the country. and I, I think it's you know, I think everyone just kind of feels that it's because of your height, but it's it's absolutely not just your height. like as we can see here, th- there is real technique that you're bringing to the table. There is real, like polish that i think you don't really get enough credit for like with the way that you move guys around the way that you get lower than your opponent the way that you uh actually use your footwork like the swim move kind of around Rebracca there in the second clip uh to get your foot around him like that's not easy stuff like that's actually like you know you bring up the idea of it being fundamental at 100% is but like that's stuff that like not everyone's doing like a lot of guys like You know, I I don't mean any disrespect to Kofi Coburn, but like I feel like Kofi was more of your battering ram, right? Whereas you're a little bit more of a technician, despite being seven foot four and being you know 290 pounds.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, but um, it's just kind of it's just a lot of things like uh, that. Purdue really has taught me. Like Purdue, they they have had really good bigs for a reason. They they know what to teach. They know how to the footwork they give. They know what to really harp on. And that was something that, that. learned a while I'm here like I definitely I didn't have all this coming into Purdue like I it's something I've really had to work on I've really had to um perfect and then obviously I'm not perfected by any means but
0: uh, yeah
2: I really really had to work on and really really had to um get good at
0: yeah and you know just to reference in your league so you finished seventh nationally last year and points off of post-ups per game you averaged 7.7 points off of post-ups that doesn't count like Foul shots or anything that you draw off a post up to either. Um, you you look throughout the top ten. Kofi Coburn finished second. Uh, Drew Timmy finished fourth. Trace Jackson Davis finished eighth. Hunter Dickinson finished tenth. Loads of Big Ten guys there, right? Uh, it's it's the kind of league that it is. So, as you move forward throughout your career, though, obviously you're still going to be an incredibly big post presence, but you know. if and when you get to the NBA, assuming that you're lucky enough to do so, like this is going to be more your bread and butter. You're going to play more out of ball screens, right? So this one, you're going to come up and set this screen for Jaden. Jaden just makes the high pass and then you're just dunking pretty easy, right? It's just catch and finish for you, right? So how how have you gone about developing within ball screens? Because that's something that we haven't really talked about yet for you.
2: Yeah, kind of just always staying ready like when you – just Play like different teams that play different ball screens. Like Michigan State, they kind of they're they're weird with it, they'll kind of randomly switch some stuff, they'll high some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, like I like think for here, you really have to try to like get around like Chunky Hepper, and he's gonna bump me. I have to like yeah. kind of try to get in front of him because if I go behind him here, there's no pass for Jaden to make, and then just yeah. kind of catching the ball, keeping it high, um, finishing. You know, when I, when I feel like I can just finish over someone, when I feel like there might be someone in a good position, you know, up faking, uh, using that kind of type of game. Um, you just really, just in ball screens, you want to make sure, you, obviously, you're hitting the dude that you're screening. Uh, yep. Staying ready for the pass, staying ready. Uh, you want to make sure your butt, that's something kind of I've learned, you want to make sure your butt on the screens is kind of like facing the baseline or facing like the, the corners. If you're setting like one of those uh, screens that's kind of that way, you want to make sure you never want to have, have like a screen kind of side. Like you feel you see my butt's kind of going to that Wisconsin corner right there. You don't want you really you want you don't want it to go to the side. You want to make sure that the, the guy has a, a good angle to kind of come off that. Um, so just and like then little, you want
0: to present, yeah, you you want to present a big target here too, right? Like you're gonna gonna turn and then this guy clears and then look at your target. I mean, it's just. You're outstretched, you're ready. Like it'd be impossible for Jaden not to hit you in the hands. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: you just want to have a big catch radius and then when the teams were really, really giving like Jaden, they really, really gave him a lot of respect at a ball screen. So I just wanna make sure I was ready when he when he was ready to give me the ball.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you guys obviously didn't do that a crazy amount last year. Like the offense did flow through you a little bit more in the post whenever you were uh, wherever you were in the game. But like, I mean, you were very effective in ball screens when you got the chance. You shot 13 of 17 uh, out of ball screen actions last year when the ball was delivered to you. Um, you know, this is something that you have a ton of potential with. I think you didn't turn the ball over a ton within them Uh, because of your ability to cover ground over big spaces. And I'm glad that you brought up the screening. That was the next thing I wanted to bring up here in a second, but because of your ability to cover ground in big spaces, I feel like you're going to be able to set like very high ball screens and it's going to be hard for teams to like stop you from being able to get downhill because of that uh, just movement skill that you have just diving straight to the rim.
2: Yeah, um, that's when kind of, you always have. You always want to dive hard, if, um, if possible. You want to dive hard straight to the front of the rim, uh, and then if someone's there, you kind of that's when you turn around and blast and seal them. But yeah, diving hard is, is a big key for the ball screens for sure.
0: So on this one, what I wanted to point out too, I mean, you just completely swallow up. Uh, is this is this going to be AJ Hoggard? No, that's going to be is it Jordan Aikens maybe? Who is it? Max Christie. Oh, that's Max. Yeah, my brain just completely fried there for a second. Um, yeah, so you're just going to completely swallow up Max here. Just look at this. I mean, he has hes no chance to get through you, and he's not terrible at getting through screens. Like, he's actually a pretty, like, okay, active defender. I love that you actually do physically make contact on screens because I think that, like, a lot of bigs, they'll slip the action. They'll do different things. They don't realize like how big the advantage is if you actually stop that man who's on the ball from getting through you, because then you can just turn your foot and dive like you do here, and it's just impossible for this backside tagger here to come, especially out of like almost empty action.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. I like I I like hitting the little guards. I don't really want it. To- I don't want to slip out. you know what I mean? Like they kept, yeah. They get their licks in during the game. They, they kind of get the swipes in. They get their bump yeah. when you're diving to the rim. So when you get when you get a chance just to hit one, that's kind of the only thing I want to do right there. Um, <laughs> hit him and that's hockey. Yeah. <laughs> so then because of because I hit him, it creates like a lot big advantage for me and Eric because um, Marcus Bingham has to help out, or else Eric's just going to go straight to the rim, where Eric's going to have a pull up jumper. Yeah. Uh, at the free throw line which is
0: something we would love. well and i love here too because you know you know that marcus super long super like athletic defender you know shot blocker as much as everything you know your scout here like unquestionably right mm-hmm. you're you know pump faking him you know he's gonna bite and then you're using the other side of the rim you're using the basket for protection essentially and you know he's gonna foul you almost yeah, every time because that's guys are what really he does.
2: kind of they're pump fake guys. You got to you, – when you get, when you get uh, against them in the games, you pump fake them every single time. You got to try to get them in the air because they're athletic. They're long enough. They can, they can make a play on you. Even though I'm tall, They can still make a play on my ball. I can still uh, disrupt my shot a little bit. So there's definitely a lot of guys in our league you just got to pump. Fake. And that's something that I really would lock into on the force
0: So here on this one, what's going to happen is you're going to um, – basically just roll into a post-up so we're kind of combining both of the ideas that we've spoken about already right so you're gonna roll into this post-up here against pete nance who you're just way bigger than i love pete as a player uh but you know you're just gonna get that advantage on him almost every time notice you're making contact on the screen again you're making it tough for the opposing team to really even get through uh and then you're just gonna post Pete because Pete's moving. He doesn't have an established base. It's just gonna be really hard for him to stand you up and stop you at that point. Yeah,
2: uh, off this one, I probably should have tried to get a paint touch, get a little deeper to hit him. But I kind of figured that um, you see him running to you. You kind of see like I, I should. What I should have done is touch a restricted area, then go and hit him. I kind of hit him a little too high, but it worked up. Mm. Well. Physically, kind of dominate him back into that paint. Um, but I was looking for it. Uh, it was an action that we do a lot off these screens. Uh, we, were, we were pretty good at like gore totting people off these screens. So, kind of when. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, you want to try to create that uh, as much as possible. Is that, is that Pete Nance or is that Ryan Young? I think that's Ryan Young. Uh,
0: that might be Ryan Young. Yeah. I thought yeah, it, was but, Pete, um, it was Ryan Young. Yeah. Just
2: kind of like. The different different looks at a ball screen. You know, sometimes I wouldn't score off it, but I would clear my defender out and um, provide a lane for like my guys to score. So it was just various things like that that kind mean, of you you look for out of ball screen.
0: Well, I love I love the idea of what you said, gortading. So you're essentially trying to create like almost you know I don't know how much you know, American football, Canadian football you've watched, but you're almost like a fullback that's like yeah. trying to create a lane potentially for, you know, either Eric Hunter or Jaden Ivy to drive, but more than anything, you're also creating an opportunity for yourself to be able to accept that entry pass as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. Just kind uh, of various things that well, again, one of those things I kind of picked up as I've gone along here.
0: So here we're gonna have what is this one gonna be? Let's see here. Let's add this stream. Okay. Oh, so this is going to be offensive rebounding. Yeah. So this is just an awesome swim move or awesome spin move off of Marcus Bingham, right? Um, Offensive rebounding is one of those things that you're very, very good at. How did you develop that skill just even to move? Like you read the ball really well off of the glass, it feels like.
2: Yeah. um, The key for offensive rebounding is you always want to get long opposite. That's where like the majority of those balls are going to go. That's kind of where you can make the play on the ball the most. Like you see here, I was, I was That's short. Great. Yeah, um, I was close short here. So you want to get kind of spun because I want to get the opposite side of the of the ball, especially on like our coach always says, long shots are going to go long. So each three is not going to bounce in the restricted area. You know, it's going to bounce kind of out there. So you want to try to be able to get out there a little bit, and then also just having a variety of techniques to kind of get around a boxer. Not accepting box outs is a, is a big thing for offensive rebounding. You can't just – if someone boxes you up, you can't just kind of run run on their back and try to push them a little bit. you got to have various things, like kind of like a, a sidestep, swim move. Uh, you can do this like the spin move like I did here. Just various things to make it so like they can't – like I'm someone who probably could just stand behind someone and get some more rebounds, but – yeah. Like, it's just, I wouldn't get as many. It would, that would be kind of like the easy solution. That's what a lot of big people do. But trying to get around a box out, and then, so I have a lot of opportunity to then move left and right laterally to also make a play on the ball. Um, something that I, I kind of picked up.
0: Well, and what you do in that case, if you would just stay big behind the guys, you open yourself up to offensive fouls too, right? Yeah. And that's just not something that you want uh I feel bad like I feel like we've hit Marcus Bingham a couple times here Marcus is a good player very long very active but you know you're just you're a tough matchup for him right he's just a skinny guy and you're able to kind of move guys around in the way that you can Um, let's go to the next one here this is the last offensive thing that I've got for you Is just your shooting right like you have real touch you can Really, actually, shoot. You are comfortable shooting from the foul line. Have you tried to incorporate any shooting into your game?
2: Yeah, um I think that's something I really, like I, I work on. Obviously, I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty good shooter. It's something I'm really doing in the games because, kind of in my mind, almost there's not really like there's not really any point of me shooting. Not,
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. You know I mean, yeah, it's, I yeah. can
2: do it. And I I feel like maybe once. People are, are able to like match me physically. That's something that we that can be a part of my game. But right now, like if I, if I, for example, if I turn and face and shoot a Sigma jump shot, that's like I feel like that's a waste of a, a post up possession for me because I can just right I can just physically get the dude deeper, and then the other team is doing I have to send a double team, which creates closeouts for the rest of my guys who are really really good jump shooters, right? Um, and like stuff like that. Like I feel like. Me, me shooting those shots is kind of like settling, and that's kind of like almost letting our team, my team, my team, my teammates down a little bit. Because like, even if I if I do really well, and I shoot like so I say, I shoot 50 percent on like my sigma jump shots.
0: Yeah,
2: like that's, that's a pretty good number.
0: That, I mean, like, that'd be like best in the NBA number, like best yeah. NBA mid range shooters shoot like fifty percent.
2: Yeah, like if I shoot fifty percent on my sigma jump shots, I'm I'm just like. I, I can I can shoot sixty percent with my hook shots. So yeah. if you're just playing the percentages and playing the numbers, there's really not much benefit for me turning and facing and shooting a jump shot unless it's in like very niche situations, like end of the shot clock. Yeah, um, gotta get a shot up. Um, if I can kind of see the open coming early, and maybe then I have a shot. It's just it's not something that um, like it's something I work on. It's something I feel like I can really do. But it's not yeah. the one that I feel like is a, is a good shot for me, just because I can physically dominate my man and get into a, a better shot.
0: Well, and, and I can give you the exact numbers on that. You posted up and received the ball, and either shot or turned it over or got fouled two hundred and eighty-four times last year. You shot fifty-eight percent on those shots, right? Yeah. So, you know, even accounting for the turnovers, you still ended up at. points per possession you'd essentially have to shoot 53 percent on your mid-range shots for that to be more effective than your post-ups and look like there's probably a time and place for everything right but you know at the end of the day i think that it's you know it's probably the right attitude for you given where you are right now but i I do just want to point out like I think this is like a real upside potential for you, like as you move right. up levels. Like I think I, I went through all of your numbers. You know, you have got probably a hundred games in Synergy's database at this point, and you literally have not taken a jump shot in a single game at this point. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, yeah. I've
2: never and three actually in a game. So,
0: yeah, you've never taken them in a game, and I really like. It's I don't think it's because you can't. I guess is my point. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I when you look at that free throw stroke, it looks good.
2: Yeah, it just wouldn't. It's just like I said. Like, it wouldn't be. I feel like it almost be like kind of a selfish shot for me to take. You know what I mean? Like there was That's not. Awesome. Much yeah, benefit for it.
0: So l- let's talk about the defense because I think that the defense there's there's some good and some bad, right? Like, it, you're a big guy. It's hard for you sometimes in space, right? So like. Here's an example of, you know, you playing Wisconsin. Wisconsin is going to present you with some problems because they often play five out, right? I tried to find a few teams that like to play five out. And here you're going to get, I believe this is going to be Tyler Wall, who you're defending. Tyler is basically, a let's call him like a non-shooting, like four man, basically, athletically. And Tyler, I think, is a really underrated athlete. He's a killer defender, um, can put the ball on the deck a little bit. And what you're going to see here is you're kind of stuck defending him because that's the best matchup for you against Wisconsin, him or Steven Crowell. And he's just going to beat you off the bounce here. So what are you thinking as you're trying to close out into Tyler wall in space here?
2: Um, our keys for ours, obviously I shouldn't, like he wasn't a shooter. I shouldn't have closed out as hard to him. I don't know why I did mm-hmm. that. Um, but my key for us I, was just no middle on drives. Like i when, when I take away middle here, I kind of expect someone like here, like Jaden's supposed to help me come come and we call it fire and take yeah. away and when I Take away middle. He would come and get outside the paint, two hands up and stop that dude from just doing that. But um, yep. that was a key for us. Like has no middle, um, no cash and shoot threes, even though he's not really someone who shoots cash and shoot threes. So I shouldn't have been really worried about him doing that. Um, Those are kind of the two
0: things
2: I think of when closing out to
0: someone. Yeah, and they shoot. Yeah. Well, and here's the next clip, right? Like, uh, here's the next clip from the same game. What's going to happen here is you're going to take this ball screen coverage. You're going to drop. You're going to, you know, Jaden actually does a really good job here of getting over the top of this ball screen. And again, it's Tyler Wall. And I love how you play the angles here. This is a great example of you forcing him baseline making him run out of space, and then you're going to swat him, right? So between those two possessions, what do you see the difference as in the way that you kind of approach them?
2: Um, i say the big difference is kind of like where my momentum is going. Like in the mm-hmm. first one, my momentum is kind of coming out at him. And it's it was yep. hard to kind of stop that and then make a play on that ball going backwards again. Uh, whereas here, my momentum is kind of already going backwards. So it's easier yep. for me to keep up pace with him and, like, make that play on that ball. Um, that's, like, a big thing between those two clips. And that's the big thing I've been working on at kind of this offseason was my, like, defense out of various things. Like, to close out. Of closeout, we have um, a very, like, different front court uh, than last year. Like, I'm, I'm guarding against guys like Trey Kaufman and Caleb Fur, And that's really, like, that's yeah. really me. Like, last year I was guarding Trevion Now I was just staying in the post-Ivy practice. Playing a lot of post defense, stuff like that. And that helped me in games like, I guess, mm-hmm. harder, like against uh, Kofi, like who's a really post up guy, and a lot of other teams that have post up guys, uh, like UNC, where we played Armando Baycott. Um, yeah. That's kind of. Yeah, helped. and you did
0: a great job on Baycott. Like, and Baycott's really good, and you like gave him all sorts of problems just with your length.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's kind of helped me, guarding guys like Travion, was just. Post defense, and this year, um, it's kind of like flip the exact flip side. Like I'm guarding Caleb; he's picking and popping on me. He's facing the corners instead of the dunker, um, stuff like that. So it's just kind of adjusting. It's something that I've kind of feel I feel like I've really, really improved on. Is kind of guarding out on the perimeter, being in my gaps, um, helping, playing ball screen defense, kind of understanding ball screen defense, and being like like on this one, I should have been a step higher. That's something I've really been working on. Uh, it's kind of like like I should have been up, t- like you see that space before the screen even half. I should have been up, touching my man, um, and like it's just a step higher. what well, really
0: I wonder here too if like your read in the moment is almost that you can tell Jaden got through the screen immediately, yeah, and that you didn't need to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you didn't, right? Like that's definitely you're able to.
2: Kind of- that's something that like definitely goes through my mind. like If if I need a help, if I don't need a help, but right here, if I did need a help, for example, I would have... Yeah. It wouldn't have been much help happening if I if Jaden did just get clobbered by the screen. Right. It's just like various, various little kind of like niche things. Not niche things, but various little like fundamental things. Yeah. all defense that I've really been working on. I think it's going to really help me next year.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up the idea of angles here, right? Or angles kind of playing your angles in a high, in a really good way. I think that, you know, this is a tough one for you because you're in an empty side ball screen action and Hunter Dickinson can really put the ball on the floor. Another guy that's really big has similar size to you. One of the few guys in the league and your angle here is, you know, you're trying to play baseline. I'm glad that you brought up this idea that you guys are trying to play no middle defense because here it just looks like, you know, you're kind of. Giving up the baseline to him, but I guess that's what you're trying to do in this situation, hoping that Trevion's going to be able to come over and help.
2: Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's that's a big thing for our team. Is just keeping the ball out of the middle. Because when when a guy goes middle, he has a whole lot of options. You know, he has he can pass to anywhere on the perimeter. He can go back to baseline. He can do a lot of things. Whereas if he goes base, he really like yeah. that drift pass to the corner. He really. He really only can shoot it. Like, it's hard to go base and like spin back middle and be productive. Like, you're almost, when you go base and you spin back, you're almost gonna shoot a fadeaway a lot of the times. Whereas if you're going middle and you spin back base, you're going to the rim. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that you kind of brought up this idea of what your defense was trying to do. Cause, like, I, when I looked at this immediately, I was like, oh, yeah, his angle's like a little bit off here. And like, it goes to show just like, how important angles are for you in mm-hmm. terms of being able to like, slow that down. But like Trevion needs to make this read like almost here. And yeah. then,
2: it's, it's you tough. know, also guarding Musa's long athletic guy. He needs, if he, if he helps there, he needs to do it early. He needs to say it loud. So that you know, Sasha or, or like, you see Jaden's coming to crack down on Musa a little bit in case. Yeah. The comes. Is just like a half step too late because it's just, it was tough. It was something that we didn't, work on uh too much like kind of me playing me and Trevion together so yeah when we played together it was it was just it's tough to play on a rotation like um, when you have well
0: yeah you're both bigger guys and with guys that are as big as you two are like it's chemistry right like and you know you have to be so on point with your rotational stuff with two bigger guys on the court like that like you have to know exactly okay Zach's gonna play him no middle I have to be ready to crack down, and Jaden has to be ready to crack down on Musa at that point. And even then, you know, Sasha has to be ready to crack down on the corner shooter because this is absolutely a pass that Hunter can make. Yeah, like that, right, it's right. just there's so much going on here.
2: Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's definitely a lot. It's a tough plays. Iso ball are always really, really hard to deal with.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just it's tough. It always surprises me when. Teams that have bigs that can play with the ball like this don't go empty, you know, ball screen actions more often. Just because I, I think that this is such a hard problem to solve for anyone, yeah. right? Like Hunter's really good. That's just kind of yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, close up
2: um, to him off this because he's, he's the guy who can just catch this and just shoot it. You see, I yeah. close up with to him with my right hand because that's something that we always say if someone's left-handed, you got to close up with like your right hand because he. If I close with my left hand, I'm giving him a jump shot. I'm not contesting. If I close with my right hand, then my hand's right there with the ball. So that yeah. also kind of makes it hard to recover baseline because I have to recover with my right hand up.
0: So let's go to this last one. I wanted to close on a strong one. I, I absolutely love everything you did here in this Rutgers possession. So you're high, as you mentioned earlier, you want to be one step higher. Uh, Cliff actually got a pretty good piece of, I believe that's Mason there again. Um, you're doing a great job. You're cutting off. You're making it hard. Mason's big so that it's hard for Ron to make that uh, left side kick out pass to the wing. You're big. You're making it very hard to hit the roller here. I believe that that is, who is that in the corner? Is that going to be Brandon Newman maybe?
2: Uh, our team? Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, that's Eric Hunter. So yeah, yeah, sorry. I couldn't really see him. Um, so Eric does a really good job of getting a body on Cliff. You're doing a really good job of staying big mm-hmm. so that Ron Harper can't make this pass to the mismatch. So he's going to have to reverse it way out. You're doing a good job here recovering onto Cliff. Cliff gets the ball, good double, and you just swat him, right? This is basically like textbook, exactly what you want to do in drop coverage. So throughout this play, what are you reading?
2: Yeah, so um, this was actually like a scout specific play too. Um, we we wanted we wanted to make sure that the ball got out of Ron Harper's hands uh, off of ball screens because it's something that they did in the first game and it was kind of tough. Um, so we we put a big emphasis on this. You know, I, you see in my ball screen, I kind of stay maybe a, a second longer than I usually would. Like usually, in, in drop, the goal is yep. to not let like I wouldn't let Cliff get behind me. That would be like a, yep. a big thing and drop. But here, I let him get behind me because we wanted to. We wanted me to stay here with Ron to get the, to make it sure so he had to get the ball out of his hands. Like he can't play. Like you see, he's in a little bit of an advantage position over Mason here. Whereas yep. if, if I didn't stay, he would just rip right and go. Um, so we want to make sure to get the ball out of his hands. So I stay here. Um, he doesn't. He, he can't make the pass to Cliff. I have to make sure to get my hands high to yep. kind of get in those passing lanes make so he discourages from that pass. Eric does a great job, like you said, just bumping and cracking. something Because I'm going to be low, we had to, we call it cracking um, or bumping. Um, he has to make sure that he gets a good bump on Cliff because I'm not going to be there for him. Um, and then here, in our doubles, I'm kind of ready for him to go base. Uh, that's one thing. Mm. In our doubles, we have to we make sure. Um, yeah, Mason's he's, he's in charge of kind of like that middle top side area Uh he, he makes sure that, the, that uh, the double he can't go there and my job is that he can't make sure he can't go baseline uh to take that away he tries to force baseline uh, I just I, I was ready for
0: it yeah this this is basically it's perfect team defense it's perfect on your part like this is exactly the way this play is supposed to run defensively right like everything about it just works pristinely and almost like the biggest part of it is that you're able to hold your point. You're playing fairly high to the level of the screen. You're not like quite at the level, but you're just like one step below the level of the screen here. And it's, this is perfect. Like even if Ron makes this pass, right. And even if Cliff catches it, he's going to have to throw it so high over your what seven foot four plus seven foot seven wingspan. Right. Like it's going to be, it's just going to be really, really hard for him, I think. And you're going to be able to recover down into that area in the time that the pass gets there. Yeah, seven ten right, actually. Seven ten, let's go, man! Love yeah. it. Oh man, that's going to look good for NBA scouts, isn't it? Hopefully. <laughs> oh man, well Zach, this is about it. This is all I've got, tape wise. Uh, but the last thing I have to ask you is, I have been told you are just absolutely nasty at Fortnite. <laughs> Uh, that is, are, are you still nasty at Fortnite? Because I feel like the people who told me this maybe told me, this, maybe I had outdated info.
2: Yeah, I used to be. I, yeah, it might be a little outdated. I used to be nasty at Fortnite. Uh, that was my game for the longest time. Uh, basically ever since it first came out. But uh, I've kind of gone away from it a little bit. It's got, it got a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely still rip, rip it on the sticks, crank some 90s on <laughs> What
0: are What are you into right now? Uh, Fortnite has kind of gone the other way,
2: yeah. Um, kind of still, I don't really play that many much video games anymore, I kind of got yeah. out of that. Um, uh, but when I do play, I'll play games like Apex. And my I used to play Overwatch a lot, and the uh, Overwatch 2 just came out, so I've been playing mm-hmm. that recently. Um, but uh, I don't play, I don't play crazy on video games as much as I d- used to do anymore.
0: If you're not into video games, what uh, what is kind of your move when you're trying to get away from basketball then?
2: Um, this coach right behind me. Oh, see. We, yeah, uh, you got live- the couch. Yeah, I just I li- just sit out there. We um, we got a TV right behind me. Um, I got everyone in my room. is just filled with uh basketball players, so It's me, Caleb, Brian, Waddell, um, and Ethan. There'll always be someone out here. Right now, we're in fall break, so no one's here. Yeah, there'll always be someone out here just watching a, a movie, watching a sports game, watching a show, or something like that. So yeah, hang out with them. We'll listen. We have like a speaker out here, we'll listening some music, cook a little bit. I like cooking a lot. Um, nice. Hang out I kind of just video games when I'm when I'm super bored. But other than that, I just hang out with, the, with my roommates.
0: So. Uh because I'm a crazy person I've watched like 140 movies this year now um what what is the last good movie that you saw oh man it's taking you a while this isn't good
2: (laughs) no I'm trying to think because there's there's some like I
0: it hasn't been a great movie I'll say that I don't think
2: yeah the most recent one I've kind of watched um was nope in open theaters. I watched that. Yeah. Which, it was pretty good. I think it got a little weird for me, um, yeah. but I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. I watched I watched the uh, Batman series for the first time. That one was really which cool. one? Uh, I, I watched it out of order. I watched number two, and then I watched number one. So I watched number three. Those are pretty good. Um,
0: the one with Christian Bale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And. Uh, I tried to. I was watching the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer show yesterday. That one's a little. That one's a little out there.
0: I, I've heard enough bad things about it to where I'm a little bit worried about watching it. Is is it worth my time?
2: Uh, I only watched like, the first episode, but it, it's it's interesting for sure. Okay. It's it's just like it's just weird. Like that. It's that's like a yeah. human being. That's the only thing. But yeah. Um. I'm mainly stick to shows. Like I grind. Like I watched. I finished a few shows this year. Stranger um, Things, Ozark, Umbrella Academy. Um, there's another more. Oh, good, Better Call Saul. Um,
0: there we go. Man, you're you're powering through them. I love it.
2: Rick and Morty. Yeah, few of them.
0: <laughs> That's great, Zach. This has been a great conversation. Anything else you want to plug? We got through your really, really great work with nonprofits. We got through um, all of the tape. Is there anything else that you feel like people need to know about you before we go? That's about it. <laughs> I, think we, I think we dove deep. This, is a, this has been a great show. It's been awesome. I'm glad that you got, got to be one of the first few people that uh, is going to be a part of this. Uh, the spin, the game theory podcast. Please remember, rate, re- subscribe, do everything you can support the show. We will be back with more of these with another show later this week. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.